Hey, welcome everyone. This is Dan with Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, Going to get a couple little things into, out of the way quickly. Uh, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, a book by James Christopher Cohn, is on sale always at Amazon. We have meetings going on in the Louisville metropolitan area. Uh, it's the 12 Steps for Everyone. It is uh, no matter if you're in current 12-Step Fellowship or not, uh, this book can help you. Dig deeper, or if you don't fit into the traditional 12-step fellowships, the uh, XAs, this is the 12-step tools that uh, can be delivered to anyone who might want a new way to, uh, let's say, a new trajectory. 12-step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cohn. Darren Frank's music's right around this. I uh, had a guy listen to it the other day and thought it was super cool that I put Darren's music on. Uh, tipped me off that he knew he hadn't been listening because Darren's music's been wrapped around this from the get-go. Uh, thank you, Darren, for allowing me to use your music on here. DTMWW.net. That is DTM Woodworking. DTM Woodworking Handyman. If you have anything like that that you need done in the Louisville metropolitan area, please contact me at Dan at DTMWW.net. You Google me, look up Spiritual Underground Podcast, all that. My contact information is connected with most of those things. Facebook, Instagram, uh, DTM Woodworking Handyman. If you're just tuning in to the Spiritual Underground podcast for the first time, we are primarily a 12-step based podcast, primarily. do like to explore other avenues, other uh, ways that people have found their true voice, found their true selves. Uh, Really do dig for those, have a yoga teacher coming on in a couple weeks. Uh, Yoga was how she found her true voice. What else is going on? You know, I've been thinking, and uh, that's about all that's going on. We're still running off the juice of the the retreat. Uh, There's still that bond going on, that little wink and a nod. Yeah, we did that together. Um, I had a guy call me the other night wanting help, wanting help stop drinking. Uh, I always put my hand out for that. Gave him three things to do. Don't drink tomorrow. Call me tomorrow. And join me in my home group meeting on Zoom the next day. Uh, Can't speak for if he drank or not, but he did not call me and he did not come to the meeting. Interesting that you reach out like that, but it's uh, fairly common. Had a little story I'm going to tell. I don't know if I've told it on here before or not. Waiting on my guests to arrive in, uh, in 1983. I was 14 years old. Uh, My cousin had already turned 15. I was getting ready to turn 15. Uh, My dad put Ted and I in a canoe in New Albany, Indiana, and we set sail for Evansville, Indiana, which is a 200-mile canoeing trip. Dad had been talking about having us do that for some years, actually, like if best I can remember since we was about 12, but our mothers weren't too keen on that idea. And finally, Dad told them, uh, you know, we were getting ready to get our driver's licenses, and if we didn't do it now, we would never do it. So they let us. The moms let us. 
and on the condition that we would call one mother every other day. So one day I'd call mine, uh, the next day he'd call his. So we'd have to stop, find a payphone. And uh, remember those payphones? And call. So we took off, and uh, it was like my Tom Sawyer adventure. Uh, basically two 15-year-old kids. We had a couple cans of Spam, a uh, loaf of bread, Boy Scout mess kits, uh, like a two-gallon water jug, and we each had a cup. We had a sleeping bag each, and a tarp was all we took, one of those poly tarps. And that was all we took, best of my recollection. I remember I had a pair of long sweatpants and a pair of cut-off sweatpants. And I had a tank top and a T-shirt, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And that was it. Of course, it was August, and it was really hot. And the river was down really low. Uh, it was like paddling in a lake. It wasn't hardly moving. We set sail down through there. Uh, I still have pictures from that. Dad, uh, we pushed out. Dad took a picture of us, and then we paddled back and got the camera and left. Making someplace in around a neighborhood of 25 miles a day. Learned a lot. Counted every barge. Kept notes. I have a journal still from that trip. Uh, the camera we have is one of those disc cameras. And, uh, I, of course, still have those pictures. A couple of memorable things from it. We were, uh, when we got down near Leavenworth or Mockport, actually, and, and I don't know how many days or how many, it was, it was on the front end of the trip. We uh, were sitting on the bank eating an apple, and a guy come up with the camera crew and asked if we could, if he could film us. And he asked us some questions. We told him what we were doing. So we went up on the barge and uh, got a tour around the barge and uh, looked at their river charts and and they just taped a bunch of stuff and and we went back got back off the boat and went on our merry way never really gave a whole lot of thought to it uh until years later when dad was watching something on KET and about river life and there were there was Ted and I uh getting interviewed and he bought the thing but they made us look like a couple of dummies like we didn't have our own river chart and that the barge captain was telling us which way to go like you didn't know which way to go on a river right upstream or downstream you can't really take any bad turns <clears throat> but it was kind of neat and still have that really need to get that put onto some kind of it's on VHS need to get that put onto some kind of format that uh, I can preserve get it get it in in, in into something else uh got down to Leavenworth and that's a boating community and a boat circled us circled us circled us and we thought what the hell are you doing I remember being angry about it uh it's not fun to be played with in a boat in a canoe when you're out in the river uh dealing with the barge traffic and all that was enough and uh we didn't really need that uh well, they circled in and they asked, you know, everybody wanted to know what we were up to. So we told them and most people thought that was a pretty cool trip that we were doing. And they offered us a beer. And I remember, you know, by then I'd already been drinking and said, sure. And we each took a beer and we just hung on to the edge of that boat. And they had some women in there and they were partying, I guess you might say. And they gave us a few beers. You know, as we drifted and then they cut us loose and they said, hey, we're going to go on and do our thing safe travels with guys and we started paddling and it was years later that i realized what i experienced what i i think 
for the first time that I can put the, you know that I can put it together was that phenomenon of craving because I would have done anything for another beer. Uh, that's a, that's all I thought about the rest of the day was how could we get some more beer. I was hoping uh, another runabout would run up and and join us again. Maybe we could get a couple more. Uh, we paddled on down. We had two sets of locks to pass through. Both of them were backed up. They were doing maintenance on both of them, so we didn't get to actually go through them. We had to go around them. We portaged around them. Uh, the first one we hit was, I think, the Canton Dam. I think, and I might have them. It's Canton and Newport. And we had to climb up the riprap up the side of the hill and get up on the highway and carry that canoe in probably a mile or so around the locks. I don't really know, but a pretty good distance. Some old feller in a... Uh, um, flatbed truck pulled over beside us and asked us if we wanted to ride now he was going the wrong way of us and and we did want to ride and uh turned out he was drunker than hell and he said hang on i'm gonna go pee and i'll be right back and he took off up this road and it felt like he were out in the middle of wyoming because you could see this road go forever and i saw that truck just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and it bent around the curve up there and disappeared so we thought, well, hell, turned around, picked up the canoe, and started walking again. Well, a little while later, he come back down the road, roaring down the road, and pulled up, and he was a talker and drunk, and we throwed our canoe up on that flatbed truck and jumped in the front seat with him, and he, he had a bottle of whiskey between his legs, and all he could talk about was wanting to go with us. And we got took us down to the boat ramp at the bottom end of the locks, and can I go with y'all? I really want to just 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 let me go between here and Tell City, and I'll call somebody to pick me up. And we were like, no, 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 we're we're not going to do that. Uh, we thanked him for the ride; it did help a bunch. And jumped in the boat and took off again. Well, when we got down to Tell City, there was that old man up on the boat ramp, drunker than he was earlier, uh, waving and hollering and wanting us to come over to the side. And we we. Uh, we, we passed on by saying that we needed to uh, make some time and get to our uh, overnighting spot. The very last night, we had a storm that come up. It was one of the top, I don't, I, sometimes I say this and I don't really know, but maybe one of the top five storms I've ever rode out in my life. Uh, we didn't have a tent. We just had a tarp, and we tied it over the dam down in Newport. Uh, we went over the dam in the area where it says big red signs say do not and caution and all that. And uh, that night it rained, thunderstormed so hard we didn't hardly sleep. And we got drenched, completely drenched. Everything we had was wet. The radio quit working. Uh, the flashlight was shot. Our sleeping bags were completely drenched, saturated with water. I remember hanging them up in a tree, and I got in that picture someplace of a, in the water running out of them. Look like what what comes out of your uh, your bathtub faucet. But it was the last day, and so we uh, hit that. And uh, hang on, my guest is calling. Hello. All right, I'll be out in just a second. All right, bye. So that was interesting. So we paddled on down and we ended the day and what took us eight days to uh, paddle. Dad took an hour and a half. We put made a phone call and Dad uh, drove down and picked us up and 
The rest is history, but it was a great trip. And my guest is here, so we will pick up in a few minutes. Uh, Thank you all for listening to my little story. Hey, everyone, it's Dan. I'm back with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, I always like to say coming to you from the studios of DTM Enterprises, uh, my little wood shop in the backyard. Uh, get my guest has arrived, and I really like this. Y'all heard me say this a few times. Uh, is that you know this is another person I met in the driveway for the first time, and how cool is that? You know that somebody says, "Okay, yeah, I will just come over and and do this podcast thing." You know, really not knowing anything about it, not knowing the guy who's doing it, uh, just trusting that you know I, we get those nudges sometimes, and I would have guessed that maybe the same thing happened that you got a little nudge that said, "Hey, maybe." should do that and today i can trust those nudges and begin to like rely on that sixth sense thing that uh that uh, i can actually tune into my higher power and and follow that lead rather than be fearful of it or things like that what the old me used to do so uh how are you today jamie better not deserve most days yeah uh you come straight from work today i did yeah the uh traffic's been light well it's uh, that was one good thing i think about the quarantine was the uh, very wonderful because i work on fern valley road so you know it's a little skip between the sherman menton and fern valley uh and you know when everything shut down suddenly it was a breeze right and i remember about a week ago was the first time that i actually sat in traffic and i remember for a split second being pretty annoyed by that you know how dare they um but then realizing this is the world waking back up again and things starting to open back up yeah very cool well i'm certainly glad you came by and uh, put out a little now and again, I just kind of throw a line out to the universe and I did it through <laughs> Facebook and said, does anybody, is that where you saw it? Uh, I did. Uh, did somebody point it out to you? Uh, just no, I just it? happened to see it. Wow, very cool. And probably uh, not just happened. Yeah, well, right, yeah. <laughs> well, we're not, you know, we're not friends on Facebook or mm-hmm. we weren't. I may have already done that, but uh, yeah, I think I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But sometimes that's, I would have, you know, that's really interesting to me is how that connection will happen like that. Yeah. Even though, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, 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 it short-circuited the, the mm-hmm. system and, and put us together. Yep. So that's pretty neat. Um, and, and so I'll throw it out there. And so far, the universe has been providing since January of 2019. Fantastic. Uh, I missed one week where I didn't. I had a late cancellation. And, and again, just like the rest of the stuff, I figured that was on purpose, too. There's mm-hmm. a reason behind it. So I don't get Always. All, I don't get my... Uh, tail feathers in a wad I just <laughs> roll with it and 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 move on knowing uh that uh there'll be another guest come along and so far it's been really really cool so what's your sobriety date September 29th 2015 2015 mm-hmm. so you are coming up on five my yeah. math is pretty good sometimes yeah. so we're pretty close uh Mine was January 1 at 15. All right. Yeah. It wasn't my first one. Yeah, mine neither. <laughs> That's what I say. My current sobriety date is. Uh, the one that I work on every day, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I hope it remains to be my current one, but I won't be so arrogant as to uh, proclaim such a thing. Did you go, uh, where'd you grow up? Where'd you, 
Where are you from? Louisville. So you grew up here locally? Uh, well, my father was in the military. I was an Army brat uh-huh. growing up. So we lived a lot of places when I was a kid. Um, but we came back. I guess we were in our second time in Germany. Uh, my father was an only child, and his father um, was dying mm. and was told that, you know, that that was it. So they called him home, and no sooner than they called Dad home, my mom, who was the youngest of seven children, so her parents were quite a bit older, her father passed away. So uh, we all came back, mm. and then my grandfather, my dad's dad, held on for about another year, and my father made the decision to get reposted to Fort Knox and then made the decision to step away to help care for his father in that last year. And then my parents split up when I was about nine, and um, so we kind of ended up in the south end, makes sense, farther down Dixie Highway, and that's where I lived most of my years from there. Yeah, close to Fort Knox. Well, well, the south end, uh, we ended up more in the Arbondale area. Yeah. Yeah, I meant more like that end of town. That exactly. Because he continued to work there. For a time. And then he, because he was an only child, I don't even know what type of discharge you call it, but my grandmother was caring for my grandfather at home. She had some, you know, nursing home training. She uh-huh. was able to provide for him, care for him. And he survived for about another year, but he was only 50 when he passed. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. My dad was 48. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. and they both died, direct relation to their alcoholism. Oh, really? Sure. Okay. Mm. Well, uh, it's certainly a family thing, and there's it, no, yes. uh, no, no, no dodge in that. There is not. Uh, I, I do see, you know, uh, it's not automatic either, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that's sitting here with these podcasts, you know, is the stories go both directions. My parents were not. Uh, well, and I got to be careful of that. See, I'll say that, but my mom struggled with some pill issues, so mm-hmm. the addiction thing was there, and I think it's all rooted in a similar kind of thing. I absolutely uh, believe that. And and so uh, you know, so there I am. I want to like say that, but it's not really the truth, you mm-hmm. know. And it's interesting; it pops out. Sure. Uh, I didn't grow up any kind of like crazy stuff. She was a professional lady, you know. Mm-hmm. She uh, was a ner- director of nursing at wow. Ivy Tech for a long time. Cool. She had set that up and. Uh, but that just kind of shows that, you know, this thing, this, this spiritual malady doesn't care who you are or what it you It does not. <laughs> and my mother, who was very much a teetotaler, I mean, maybe a glass of Osti Spumante with her best friend on New Year's Eve, yeah. um, certainly talked to my sister and I about, she never had an unkind word from my father. And of course, we didn't know what alcoholism was when we were children. We just knew that he wasn't around. Mm. I mean, years would go by. When we would not see or hear from him. Uh, and my mother never spoke ill of him. She never spoke of him at all. So there was like this big sort of like elephant in the room. Yeah. And um, he showed up again, I think, when I was about 13 years old. I mean, that's how many years had gone by. And we'd see him a time or two, and then it would be more years. And then literally it wasn't until he was dying um, that my mother pulled me aside and said, hey, <laughs> got a decision to make um he's dying there's nothing else to be done and you know so anyway i think i was 24 Hmm. when dad passed away but um so most of my life um we were just my sister and i both very conscious of not 
taking a drink. I mean, I guess I was kind of a boring teenager um, because I didn't do any of those things. I didn't even experiment with anything. Mm. And it's not that I was prudish, um, just conscientious, I guess. Um, So for me, uh, my journey didn't really begin until I was diagnosed with cancer at 37. And that's when the pills and I met up on Uh, the regular. I've been a nurse for many years. Mm. uh, And in the end was treating the hospital like my own private candy store. But between 37 and 47, there wasn't much I didn't damage. And what I know today from working the 12 steps is I've always been an alcoholic. I just hadn't met up with a substance. But my story clearly shows it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And it's pretty typical. Uh, I think that's it's not so easy to get get to do that today. But uh, Mm -hmm. I do know a lot of people in the medical field that, as you yeah. personal candy store well and I would rationalize it I'm an ICU nurse who worked Mm -hmm. level one trauma Mm. I worked with the highest acuity patients there are I worked I started at UofL straight out of Bellarmine and CCU neuro on the seventh floor it doesn't even exist anymore because now the neuro unit's down on five west there's a stroke center anyway things have changed again giving away my age Um, But I loved it. Traumatic brain injury absolutely fascinated me. Um, I had worked EMS before I became a nurse, so it was just sort of a, to me, it felt like the road to take. Um, And I would rationalize in my mind, well, rationalize a lot of things, that I never denied a patient anything. There was just no such thing as waste in my world. Nothing was going in the sharps box. Nothing was going down the sink. And nowhere... In those days, am I thinking that this is immoral, illegal, unethical, dangerous, that I'm putting everything that I've ever worked for on the line? Um, Nowhere was that thought in my brain. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were like, uh, it was leftover medication that was going to get thrown away. Absolutely. You know what? That seems silly. Absolutely, I mean, it I'll does. I was taught to clean my plate when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I, I have some direct experience with some other friends that uh, that, that, that have a, uh, what do you call it, diverting medication. Mm. Yeah, and um, I did a lot of diverting and a lot of walking in and out of the facility with it. You know, early on in my career, you know, you could pull – Uh, a carpal jet out of the Pyxis, and if your patient, you know, say it was 10 milligrams of morphine, and your patient is supposed to get four in an hour, originally you could just hold on to that other six, and then if in an hour later they needed more, the thought was that we're saving the patient money. Well, what they realized, it was a liability because, say, for instance, I accidentally leave it in the room and a family member picks it up. What if I accidentally walk, accidentally walk out of the facility with it? Um, So then it became, um, you only take what you need, that the cost versus liability issues. So in an ICU, um, when your your patients are so high acuity that you may only have one or two, I can't think of many times that I watched someone waste something. I just didn't have time for all that. Mm. So I might turn around, put my number in, put my thumb down on the Pixis and keep it moving. I never watched them put it in the box or shoot it down the sink. No one ever watched me. So it just, uh, in my mind, it was real easy to put those dots together and say, hey, Christmas. Yeah. 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 And you pulled it off? 
for a while, for a while. And eventually, you know, as my dependence grew and you always have to, I always had to use more to achieve the same effect. Probably the worst thing that happened for my disease was when I did the nurse traveling Mm. because I'm gone for weeks at a time. No one's seeing what I'm doing. Um, They only know what I'm telling them. It just, it really escalated at that point. And eventually it was legal trouble. Eventually it was very obvious what I was doing. Um, And I remember when I was sat down by my charge nurse, it was really quite a relief because I was miserable using, miserable not using. And, but ultimately it didn't stop me. Mm. And eventually it was legal issues and it, it, it escalated to the point that I could not function on the floor anymore. Um, so your charge nurse actually caught you or absolutely. set you down beforehand, and, but yeah. it gave you an opportunity to write things before you actually got yeah. into legal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've been given many, many opportunities not to be a convicted felon. Yeah. I was. Um, I'm blessed that I recently had all of my stuff expunged. Oh, really? cool. What an amazing gift. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm grateful that while I was on the floor, I never harmed a patient. And um, that was the grace of God. And by the grace of God, I didn't lose my license. Um, you know, speaking of people in the you know medical field, I, I was a solitary user this was never a social thing for me. I said it started with an illness. And within six months, I'm taking those pills any way I wanted to. Within a year, had a full-blown problem. And you couldn't tell me nothing. How dare you pick on the sick girl? Right. I mean, it was always something. Sun's in my eyes. Dog ate my homework. Daddy didn't love me. Whatever. It was always somebody else's problem. Yep. I'm taking no personal responsibility for my life, no matter how bad the consequences were getting. And eventually, my judge was done playing with me and sat me down at Pee Wee Valley for 90 days. Oh, wow. Was done playing with me. And from there, they sent me to the healing place. That is interesting. You know that uh, in there, the three pertinent ideas says no human power could have relieved, you know. And I can, uh, same with you, a lot of people gave me a lot of chances Mm because I was a pill stealer. And that's eventually what ended up catching me, too. What got me was the doctor shopping. Oh, really? Because I would rationalize in my head, um, well, I rationalize a lot of things, uh, that somehow if I was admitting, and it was usually only if I'm called on the carpet by something, because I destroyed a marriage during this, too. Mm-hmm. And all of these trappings, all of these things um, were little by little falling by the wayside, estranged from my children, um, just the devastation that comes with my would not, could not, did nots for 10 years. Yeah. And I'm losing things, and it's just none of it was stopping me. Even being in LMDC more than one time, I mean, you would think that any one of those would have been a low enough bottom, and it just wasn't. I was just so full of pride and arrogance. It was just nonsense, 10 years of nonsense. And eventually, um, I let go. And when I got to the healing place, you know what I realized is I'm the common denominator in all of my stories yeah. and that no matter how it looked on the outside at one time I did not know how to live and I needed someone to show me and I was really at a place where I could just say tell me what to do mm. magic words there yeah 
Yeah. And I stopped trying to run the show. Yeah. And just let go. Yeah. Yeah, I love, uh, now and again, I'll be working with somebody new and they will utter those words, you know, and I'm like, okay, we got, now we're on the rail now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because just tell me what to do. Cool, good. We're, we're, I love that language. Oh, so you came out of a 90-day sentence and mm -hmm. they sent you to the healing place. They did. The, the parole board sent me to the healing place. Mm -hmm. So were you, uh, um, one of the things that people will see once in a while is that uh, staying sober is not mandatory in, in jail or in at least by my understanding, I don't know. I don't have any personal experience there. Did you stay clean through your sentence? I did. Um, I, I guess I didn't run in the right circles. Uh, I mean, I was just there to keep my head down and keep it moving. And, of course, um, I had such a, a minimal, I guess, it was a nonviolent sentence. I was uh -huh. the lowest class of felony. So I actually was housed outside the gates. Oh, really? um, so you just have a little more freedoms. I'm not saying it's great, but I'm saying that it's, it's, you know, not it's not bad. orange is the new black. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's right. not an episode of that. Yeah. Well, you look at that too, you know, and I always think about how, uh, God was supporting me in my recovery at times where I didn't even realize yeah. how that is, you know, and here Absolutely. you're not, you know, you kind of, you're not stuffed in the back closet. Uh, when I got in trouble, you know, there was, uh, I was on. I was. I was sentenced, or I was threatened to be sentenced with six to twenty years in prison. Wow! Uh, that really, really, really scared me. Mm -hmm. um, I was trying to think of some way not to do that. Uh, I continued to drink in, for six more months while I was in that trouble. I still couldn't stop with mm -hmm. even that laying over top of my shoulders. Uh, but when I, you know, I saw now looking back, it's hindsight to see how. When I when I surrendered uh, and allowed God to work and not fight that, how many different ways that uh, that that coincidences happened and and you know they they allowed me the the justice system allowed me and actually helped me to recover mm -hmm. and I didn't think they really did that I just thought that was talk you know that their little stuff about us getting better. Uh, well, I'm sure I, they were looking to punish me, and I did find out that it was just the opposite. They actually did. They, they helped me recover. Well, um, my judge had said to me, well, he said a lot of things, and I deserved to have them said to me. Uh, but one of the things that he said was that he understood that I had a problem, and that he truly believed that the only reason that we were meeting is because I have a problem. And if I had not our paths probably wouldn't have crossed, at least not in that courtroom. Mm -hmm. He said, but they give me very little options as to what to do with you guys. Because at the time, you had people sitting in jail for months just waiting to do 28 days at JDAC. Mm. Um, in hindsight, I think there was a lot of him that also knew that by allowing me to go, actually sentencing me to some time, that I had more options available to me once I was under the jurisdiction when I was at Pee Wee Valley and under the parole board than he had just in the city of Louisville. He had very little options and very few places to send us guys. Yeah. We had the opportunity, several of us, to go back uh, who had all gone through Chavan's courtroom and to talk with him oh, after really? we got well. 
uh, and of course to say a lot about the healing place and about AA and sobriety and it was yeah. pretty cool yeah and I think it was really cool for him to express that it was nice to see us whole right yeah that uh, good amends is what we where you get to go thank somebody for uh, yeah for helping you rather than go make up for some harm you did mm. you know? uh, and those are we mix those in with my 12 step and make sure that we do some of uh, uh, do some of those also so, yeah uh, and it's cool when it lines up and you get to uh, go back and thank somebody who had an impact on you uh, had a number of those occasions so what did you end up getting how did the whole thing go down and I know we don't want to get to the madness part because I don't need to, we don't sit there but how did you end up getting in trouble that doctor shopping is what got me in legal trouble. Okay, so they just caught you that you was... Uh, I was going to multiple physicians, and, uh, you know, I became the, the consummate uh, actor, and um, I certainly had the physical part to back up. You know, I've had multiple surgeries, right. and justified. I was milking a lot of stuff and not being honest with physicians, and back then... It was a little easier to get away with that right. stuff. Yeah, that's about the time that it started clamping mm-hmm. down. Um, yeah, and eventually it caught up with me. And we're like through like pharmacies and the yes. kind of tracking there. Started getting, getting flagged, them. and the next thing you know, there's a detective standing at my door. Yeah, yeah. You're getting, you've got scripts from these three mm-hmm. different doctors. And yeah, that are bleeding th- over top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I remember like bumping into that issue at some point when I was seeking pills through the the urgent care centers sure. and different stuff you know and you go in and, and i remember a gal one of the doctors you know and i didn't you know i think i'm cool right i think i'm pulling off some stunts, oh yeah you know? absolutely you catch me i'm slick mm-hmm. and uh she said uh miss reeves uh I called around and i found that you had been to two other urgent care centers this morning and <laughs> i was like uh, sure. You know, okay, I'm feeling much better. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and hit the road. Uh, thank you all. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry about the confusion. Yeah. Oh yeah. I started. Uh, it's another a couple of those things about how goofy you know, uh, and it's just blind to it. You know, I thought that drug tests were just uh, red light, green light. You know, it was either pass fail. Yeah. You know, and uh, when I got hit with one, I tried to tell people uh, it was one through work. I tried to tell them, you know, I just had gotten a couple from a buddy. And my back was hurting, and I got a couple, and they said, well, you had 10 times the therapeutic <laughs> dose in your bloodstream. I'm like, hold on, you know, you're, uh, you're not supposed to be playing the game that way. Exactly. Uh, not that foul. well. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, how was the, how was your experience at the healing place? What did you well, you know, there's a lot that I can giggle about now, you know, when I think back. Um, and I see it so much in the patients at work. Right. Um, Mirrors. Absolutely it is. And sometimes... It can be a little unnerving when I meet someone who is so much like I was, Mm -hmm. that it really is a mirror, that sometimes I'll have to um, take a step back and really process that because I don't, at first I won't always realize what it is that's been triggered. And then I realize, oh my gosh, that's me. That's exactly how I sounded, you know, polite and articulate and sane. 
and it's all just nonsense. It's a big pile of nonsense. It just sounds really nice with a bunch of flowery words. And, you know, I've got this all figured out. Just give me a moment. Just nonsense. Uh, but I believed every bit of it. You couldn't have told right. me anything different. And that's exactly what I sit across the desk from sometimes. Um, but the reality is, you know, God loved us so much. He gave us free will, which unfortunately also includes our right to go to the bitter ends. Yeah. Um, Something I share with patients all the time. Page 317 in the big book is my favorite page. And it's like my mantra. Um, it's always what I end every lead with. And it talks in there, uh, if asked what the two most important things in recovery are, I'd have to say willingness and action. And it talks in there about, basically it's saying, what are you prepared to do today? And about being given the gift of choice. So what I always say to patients, because we get this a lot, they come in for their first, I'm a PFC, I'm the patient financial counselor, so I'm the money gal, uh. the insurance gal. So um, I have those adult conversations about out-of-pocket expenses and, you know, adult stuff. So I usually meet with them not long after they get out of detox. And if I had a dime for every time a patient sat across from me and said, you know, Jamie, this has been awesome. I feel like a million bucks. Right. I've learned so much. Thanks for the memories. I'm out. Because in that moment, they're confusing being clean with recovered. The only thing that has happened for them is they've got the drugs and alcohol out of their systems. And that's an important step mm -hmm. in order to draw a sober breath, have a sober thought, to even hear the message or decide that it's a journey you want to be in, or that you're even one of us. We have to start there. But then the work really begins. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, a lot of people just aren't ready to let go or admit that it's their disease that's screaming. And it's too hot, it's too cold, there's not a mint on my pillow, you don't feed us enough, you feed us too much. There's something that they latch onto, and the reality is they have the right to do that. They're grown. Yeah. And all we can do, all I can do, is pray that they make it back in the door. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, not everyone does. Well, yeah, my, another one of the things, uh, I never knew death like I know death since yeah. coming into recovery. Absolutely. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's a regular occurrence. It's, unfortunately, it is. Uh, lost a friend just in the past week, you know. And it Sorry just to seems hear like that. like every time, you know, it just, it's just, un, it's, and it's another thing I couldn't hear, you know. Yeah. When I first got here, they were telling me this thing is deadly. And, and you know, I thought oh, that yeah. they were, you know, exaggerating, you know. Sure. You trying to scare me, you know. Yeah, uh, that won't be me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, One more is not going to hurt. Yeah. Uh, and there were so many things that I had to make peace with. Um, the fact that I was taking care of those high acuity patients under the influence. Mm. I mean, I had to let go of all of that, and I had to get honest. And that meant bare bones honest about yeah. what I was doing and how I was doing it and who I affected. And, you know, it, admitting um, that I'm walking out of the hospital with large amounts of narcotics that I'm sitting in my big, beautiful house in my master bathroom, you know, putting an IV in my ankle, mm. you know, shooting up fentanyl. You know, if I had died, my children would have come home to that. Right. I'm not confused about that stuff today because I believe that I was not, I had no chance of getting better until I could get honest about who and what I am. Right. Yep. There was nowhere to go. Yeah, and it's, uh, 
my background, you know, I was better than that. Oh, absolutely. You know? uh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not one of those people. Yes, that's yeah, right. I'm, I'm not under a bridge. Uh, you know, I'm not selling myself on the street. Well, I'm not confused about any of that today. If you'd have left me out there long enough, yeah. I'm not confused that I'd have figured it out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had, you know, at one point, uh, you know, a beautiful wife, a nice house, mm-hmm. two cars in the garage, yeah. two kids, a dog, you know, a, a job I'd held for 20-something mm-hmm. years, you know, and you can't have all that. And be one of these guys. Absolutely. And see, that's the difference between me and those folks. <laughs> I got this. That's right. You know? And uh, as you as you uh, spoke to a little bit ago, you know that stuff started getting plucked away. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, my my house of cards started crumbling. Absolutely. And uh, you know it's in that that thing about this, you know, the level of pain that one must go through before mm-hmm. they will listen. You know and. And now and again, you know, and I've had a guy in my life here lately who who caught himself and listened before it got real bad. Mm -hmm. So then you know what he does? He wants to flip it the other way and go, you know, I'm not really wanting y'all because I, you know. Sure. And maybe I'm not. You know, absolutely get all the pain, but he still, you know, it's that's this thing up here that doesn't work quite the way it's supposed to because of this, uh, you know, mental disease, frankly. That uh, has got me thinking. My thinker don't work very well. Absolutely, my yeah. thinker still doesn't work well. Right. And That's sometimes I can giggle uh, about. I call it letting the crazy out yeah. um, because there's still some really absurd things that will fly through my brain. Yeah. Um, and I'll have to call my sponsor, you know, one of the gals, and I'm like, "You'll just never believe what I just thought," or what yeah. I, you know, because. Yeah. And I call it letting the crazy out. And years ago, I would have never. Because how was that going to make me look? Right. Um, but the reality is that's how my brain works. And I have an alcoholic brain, and this is how it works. And it's going to continue to work like that. And I think one of the, um, as a nurse early on, I sort of said to myself, okay, so what if a doctor had come to me and said, Jamie, I'm really sorry, but you're, you're now a type 2 diabetic. And for the rest of your life, you're going to have to check your insulin. You're going to have to check your sugar. You might need to take some insulin. You're going to need to adjust how, you know, what you eat, what you drink, all of these adjustments that you need to make in your life. And if you do these things, you're going to live a pretty healthy, long life. But if you don't do these things, then here's the ugly things that are probably going to happen. You may lose some limbs. You may go blind, your kidneys, neuropathy, all of these things that can go wrong. And it's obviously going to kill you. How different is that from the disease of alcoholism? It's not. It's not. So for me, that made sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's not a cure for this, Jamie. Yeah. But if you do these things, you stand a pretty good shot of living a fairly healthy life, mm-hmm. a longer life. Yep. But if you don't... Yeah, one of the best things I had a guy tell me uh, when I was... And he may have told me this my very first AA meeting I'll speak to is that uh, I got court ordered to some AA when I was a kid. I had a couple of DUIs by the time I was 19, and and I had to go to some AA meetings, and I don't remember any of it except for <laughs> you know, cigarette smoking sure. old men. That's right, and the old yeah. men. And, uh, but what I, what I say is I finally came to the rooms with a third tradition where I was actually had a desire to stop, yeah. and I made it there. Uh, a, a guy told me, and and he said, you know, he said if you, if you're an alcoholic like me, if you got this thing I got, 
And if you will work these steps and apply these principles into your life, your life is going to get a lot better. Yeah. He said, I can guarantee it. And I'm thinking, you know, they'll guarantee you death and taxes and all that. And, <laughs> and But he turned it and he paused for a minute very effectively. And he said, and I can also guarantee you that if you've got this thing that I've got and you don't do that, mm-hmm. your life's going to get a whole lot worse. Yeah. And I still remember that echoing in my head because it was prophetic. Yeah. The fact that I toyed with it and, you know, half measures wouldn't even, if I'd have done half measures, I'd mm-hmm. have been a lot better off. I couldn't give it that. And uh, and I went from coming into rooms off of basically what was a bad weekend, you know, sometimes you just have a bad weekend. Yeah. Uh, to that threat of possibly spending many years in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to get you know, go from, from there to there before I would listen. That same man told me, too, uh, at one point, he said, uh, I'm really afraid that you're going to end up either be, you're going to end up dead or in prison before you get this thing. Yeah. And once again, that prophecy was pretty close. Uh, if, I, if I hadn't had that third-party intervention, mm-hmm. uh I'm, I'm sure those that would have been uh, my my area. I was thinking, you know, that uh, I couldn't go to jail, and I was considering killing myself to keep from having to go to. I've been prison. there. I've definitely been there. And when I reflect on it now, I don't know that I was suicidal in the right. true sense of the word of someone that you know battles chronic depression. Right. Um, but I do remember feeling that hopeless and at the time it seemed logical Um, and of course now looking upon it it's nonsense but at the time it seemed to make a certain amount of sense to me yep yep if I could have thought of a way to do it to where my family could have got my life insurance that was with some hang-ups in my head. That well, I, that would make it all okay. Yeah. Then I Dan, would, that would know, make it perfectly they okay some, if they yeah, get some money. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You had to get into that second step about return me to sanity, you know, and, and the fact that I would argue that with you at one point. And, but those were the kind of thoughts that were going through my head uh, <laughs> at the time. And, you know, it's interesting that we do. We, we smile about this stuff today, you know. Uh, oh, I've, I've always said, you know you're in a great place in your recovery when you can laugh about things that were once not very funny. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't mean so much as the, like the morbid humor that we have in the hospital, but where you can look at it in a, in a different set of eyes. Yeah. In a different mindset, because I really believe that there is a paradigm shift that comes with working the steps. I know it did for me. Yeah. Uh, I found it extremely liberating. Uh, I can remember at times being in classes at the healing place, um, you know, when we're all um, on that journey through our little paperwork steps. I mean, we all had to have a sponsor and we're working the steps with someone, but Paperwork-wise, we were required to go through it there at the healing place. So where we were in the program was also the step we were on. And I can remember being in sort of that midway point and, um, you know, just having gals just very, you know, and the Oscar goes to very overly dramatic. You know, I'm on my fourth step and everything's just, you know, so dramatic. Um, And I had just dropped my fifth. And for me, I found it extremely liberating Mm -hmm. because there was just so, I was so stuck 
and I didn't even realize it. There were so many things, even from my childhood. Um, I believe that no matter what age we are, we need the world to make sense. Well, if I'm only five years old and all I have is the experiences um, and the knowledge of a five-year-old and there's no one there explaining anything to me or assisting me, well, I'm going to come up with one plus one equals two. The problem is the first one skewed, that second one is skewed, but that becomes part of who I am. It becomes part of my belief system. And I carry those things with me. You know, I, I learned that I labeled myself as a victim at a very young age, probably even before I knew what that was. And all of those things really carried on with me and became sort of self-fulfilling prophecies. Right. Um, I was restless, irritable, and discontent before I knew what those things were yeah. or that they had any association with something called alcoholism. Right. Um, but in walking through those steps, and, and, and I've walked through them more than once now, and I th- I'm a big believer that you don't do it just once. Me too. Um, that there's always something to glean and gain. And I think if we go into it with, to the best of our ability, I just found it liberating. It, I could not understand what my hurts, habits, hang-ups, my patterns of behaviors, because I lived it. They were my go-to moves. It's all I knew. And I just continued to do those things because it's all I had. And I couldn't see that it's repeating the same thing because from the outside, it looked different, or at least to me it looked different. Right. But in essence, it's just the same thing. My mother, who was a wealth of sayings, used to say that God will continually bring you back to the same crossroads and give you the opportunity to hang a left when you should have hung a right. Yeah. Uh, so, and I believe that, but I couldn't see any of that right. until I walked through I the steps. See me. I could not. I still can't. Yeah. Uh, you know, Absolutely. I see me a little better today. A little better. But uh, that's again, that's that that thing. I need to have that. Like we said earlier, that safety net, that uh, support network and yeah. people around me. And as we were talking a little bit about the kind of the levels of that uh, I have, and it sounds like you do too, uh, I have a, a, a pretty decent sized group of men, uh, more friends than I would have thought that I could handle. <laughs> uh, That's and, a blessing. And, and, yeah, it really is. It's a huge blessing. I know sometime or another over my life, I heard somebody say if you had uh, if you could count your close friends on one hand, you were doing yeah. well. And, and I, I agree. Do, and I can do a little better than that today. <laughs> and uh, and we do. We get vulnerable with each other, and we, we allow each other into one another's lives and, and let us see see all of us. And uh, and we do some work around that. And, and so those guys know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, I mean, even sponsees, like, you know, hey, man, you okay? You don't seem like you're... And I'm like, you know, but I want to be, you know, <clears throat> there, and there's an instant of me that because I'm the sponsor, right, that I need to be okay. Absolutely. You know, but I can come back around to that, you know, that's that, that course correction thing where, you know, my, my mind still tears off down those paths. That's still my default position. Mm-hmm. But I can catch myself quicker today and go, no, you're right. I'm not okay right now. Yep, and it is a beautiful uh, give and take when allowed, uh, and I have that uh, with my sponsor, and it's it's beautiful because I think on the outside, um, well, when she gave me my three-year uh, token, um, she she said I was you know I knew Jamie from the periphery you know from the healing place. She said, but we didn't know one another, so I was a little surprised when she called me. And said, you know, God put you on my heart, and are you taking sponsees? And 
she had to, the first thing she said to me on the phone was, well, you do know that I went back out and I'm working through the steps again. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And she said, well, I'm on 11, you know, let me call what's now my grand sponsor. And Amanda said, yeah, it's not like she's a newbie. If she's cool, we're cool. Get you through 12 and you guys do your thing. And then we started on our journey. But when she gave me my three year, that's what she said. I was a little surprised when Jamie called me and she said, uh, you know, um, I cuss like a sailor and Jamie doesn't. Jamie's kind of godly. I'm working on it. I mean, she was just pointing out all these things. And then tearfully, she looked at me and she said, but it works. Yeah. And it absolutely does. And um, there's nothing that says a sponsor is required to do anything but walk you through the 12 steps. But she absolutely is my heart. Yeah. Very blessed. Yeah, sounds like we have that in common, too. My uh, sponsor celebrated 36 years last night wow. in our home group meeting. Wonderful. Uh, we celebrate our birthdays on the last the last meeting okay. of the month you know the whole month worth of birthdays mm-hmm. we celebrate on the last tuesday so yeah he and uh and i try to model that same thing in my sponsorship today too because i'm building relationships with these men mm-hmm. uh and that that i that i want to be long lasting yeah that I, you know this is not where i'm gonna uh take you through an apprenticeship and then we will go our 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 own ways and you know sometimes that does happen Sure. But that's not, you know, so the same thing, my, my sponsor is, uh, you know, I could, it feels funny to say it, but you know what I mean? He's like probably a best friend because of the fact that I actually got a guy that I can tell anything mm-hmm. and everything to without fear of any kind of judgment or anything like that. And that book tells me too, I must be 100% honest with somebody. Yep, absolutely. If I'm going to live happily in something or another else. <laughs> and, uh, and I have somebody in that I can be, cause I can't, you know, that level of honesty is not for all my people. Of course. <laughs> I've shared that with sponsees before, that the rooms are not for everything, that there's going to be levels um, that you have in your life, and that, um, you know, in a perfect world, you know, you'd like to think that everyone is practicing anonymity. You would like to think that everyone is on the same page. But the reality is we are we are, and praise God that the seats are free and the doors aren't locked, right, yeah. um, because I've certainly walked in those rooms for a multitude of reasons, and none of them were about getting sober. Um, but what I always share is just there are places to share certain things and, and just make sure you're sharing it, but, um, but just protect yourself. Yeah, and I do, you know, that's still uh, cultivate that. And, you know, my same thing has happened. You know, I have these men in my life now that, uh, that are really, really close to, you know, and that I think the, it's at a real core level, that's really what I've been looking for all my life. And that's part of why I started drinking at an early age also. Mm-hmm. You know, I started picking up and drinking when I was drinking and smoking pot when I was in my early teens. Mm-hmm. And what I was wanting to do was fit in. I wanted sure. friends, you know. And, and again, to that book towards the end of that 164 says, he will help you create the fellowship you crave. And, you know, today I have this group of guys in my life that... Uh, that that mean the world to me you know words mm-hmm. words fall short and we actually are doing this thing together and i'm watching uh watching you know, there just really isn't anything better in the world to me than to watch and be a part of people growing in a true sincere oh yeah authentic manner you know when you watch people especially when you know where they came from 
Yep. You know. Absolutely. I have a sponsee who's 24, celebrated her first 365 at 23. Oh. And it's a, a, a story that I share with a lot of the young ones uh, who come into my office. Um, because I think that's, you know, I can remember, vaguely remember what it was like to be, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old. You, you know, I, life was going to last forever. It was right. always going to be awesome. Who could ever fathom that it wasn't going to always be awesome? Invincible. And so, exactly, you're invincible. So I think it's even harder trying to convince the young ones. Um, and I know that a lot of them certainly struggle with this notion because, a lot, you know, I hear this. It's a rite of passage. You know, mm. that when I'm 21, these are the right. things I'm supposed to get to do and I'm supposed to go off to college and whatever it is we check think we're boxes. supposed to do. Exactly. Check the boxes. And the reality is, is, is it appears that you may just have this be a member of my tribe <laughs> and, and here we are uh, instead of, you know, you in Belize for the summer, you're hanging out at, at treatment again. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love, that there's a young people's movement within AA. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that there's so many different ways to connect. And, and in speaking about watching someone grow, when I, when I think about my sponsee, when I think about Cass, and I think about the first time that I saw her, and I saw her many times. It was a, my previous job would allow me to do the 1030 meeting there at the Floyd County Token Club. And it was well, it's still, to my, is always one of my favorites because you get this beautiful mixture of some newbies, but you got a lot of old timers in there uh, because you either have to have weird hours like me or you're retired and you can be sitting in a meeting at 1030 in the morning. Right. Uh, I've met a lot of amazing people with some serious time under their belt. Um, blessed to know a lot of these guys. And I say that because most of them are. And she and her boyfriend, would, you know, there. They are in the restaurant business. So Mm. for them, that made sense to go to a 1030 meeting. And she was always so quiet and didn't make eye contact. And so I was really surprised when she came up to me and asked for my phone number. And even more surprised when she called me. And I'll tell you that from the moment we started on the journey, that young lady did everything that I asked of her. And the next thing you know, I'm handing her her first 365. Oh, cool. But the woman that she is today from the woman that I met is just a 180, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Yeah. It truly is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many of those words in that book just fall right in, you know, and, uh, I, and some of the time I can feel like it's a little cliche and a little that, but, you know, sure. some places there's huge rearrangements and um, displacements i mean we the words that he uses in there are about like because it still doesn't fit uh it's one of the things that i you know i think it's part of the thing of this uh don't make any of these major decisions right now while you're working this work and i'm mm-hmm. not a big guy on the timeline so much as to where you're at in your spiritual journey i think that's really more than the year of the time you know so I, that first year is a good deal but let's not make any decisions until you get through this work because you are going to change yeah and the things that you think you like today you may not like tomorrow that's right and uh and and i you know when my sponsor was telling me some of that stuff early on i you know i was following him but there was that hit that other voice that wanted to rebel and all that was saying you know this is a bunch of baloney you know this guy's (laughs) 
you know, and, and some it's of a the, cult. <laughs> some of the things that he said, well, you know, he like, I thought I would be working at the same job all my life, you know, and I said, you know, and he goes, well, you don't know. He said, you, you get through this work and you get some, he said, you don't know what you're going to be trying to do, you know, and I don't work in that job anymore. Mm-hmm. And he had made a prediction real early on and he said, uh, someday I got this feeling that your voice is going to be heard on like a different kind of level. Uh, here I am. And here you are. Yeah. And, uh, and those, those, uh, He's pretty sharp in those those prophecies kind of things that, you know, I also wonder some level if that doesn't like speak it into me, too, because I really it's I've really been dancing around this speak stuff into existence thing, because, uh, you know, if I think I'm not going to have a good time today, if I think this is going to be a bad day, it, it very well might be. Hmm. And if I go into this morning and getting up and changing my way the way we're taught, where I'm asking for help and I'm have some gratitude on my plate in mm-hmm. the morning, and and I'm doing the things that have been working for me, you know that 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 old saying, and I've said this just the other day in here was that uh, keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna keep getting what you're getting. That goes both ways. I yeah. can do that here too. Absolutely. I keep doing what I'm doing, and I keep getting what I'm getting, and uh, so I start my day off like that, right? And I've spoke that into existence. And I wonder, you know, to some level, if that's not what prayer is—is is speaking into existence. You know, it's a form of that. It's asking this power, mm. and because I voice it to God with humility, asking for help, uh, somehow or another, the universe hears that and does it you know helps me now it doesn't always come you know i don't get to write the recipe right yeah uh absolutely we don't and we don't always get things when we think we should get them the timeline and yeah and exactly what flavor it is sure well Uh, i think for me it's been um you know i grew up in a for the most of my life in a single parent household mm -hmm. so my mother um had always said to Heather and I, you know, your ticket out of this is your brains mm. and is education. So there was never a question that we were going to graduate high school. There was never a question that we were going on to college. And it's not like she was beating us over the head with it. My mother was a, a learned, well-read woman. Um, I mean, I remember bringing my papers to her even when I was in college, just a very intelligent, well-read woman. And that certainly be the key. And in my mind, um, even before I knew I was an alcoholic, even as a child, thinking, I don't know why I feel this way, but when I get this, or when this happens, or when I marry him, or when I have that, you know, I'm going to work real hard, and I'm going to get through school. And when you get through school, then you get the trappings of that. Here's all these things that are going to happen. And then I would get to these places and I would have these things and I would achieve these things. And then I couldn't understand. I was no different. And I didn't understand that I had this God-sized hole. And I didn't understand that I'm trying to fill it with these worldly outside things. I didn't realize that I was placing a burden at worst on another human being. You know, love me, fix me, heal me, make me better. No one can live up to that. Right. And it's a burden that I couldn't bear. But I just, it was almost like a mania in some sense that I'm flailing about, not understanding why nothing is making it better. Yeah. And then along comes the pills. Hmm. And I remember the first time thinking, 
where have you been my whole life? Right. That somehow this was the answer. That suddenly I felt still and okay and my mind was quiet. And then off to the races and the rest that came with it. Um, but today I can honestly say I have a quiet mind and a still heart, an open heart, a loving heart. If you'd have asked me five years ago, Dan, if you'd have said that I was selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, how dare you? Don't you know the kind of jobs I do for a living? I was a paramedic. I'm a nurse. I'm a giver. At the end of the day, when the rubber hit the road, it's one more was all that mattered. Yeah. Forget the career that I worked hard for, forget the degrees, forget the marriage, forget the children, forget it all. The only thing that mattered was one more. I'm gonna create whatever mess I wanna create. Catch me if you can, and if you do, somebody else clean it up. Yeah. And that's how I lived. Yep, and I slipped through so many cracks in my life that I figured, you know, I actually built up a thing where I thought, well, I will be able to escape this one, too. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. No matter what happens. Absolutely. I, I will be able to slip through the yep. fingers and, and get mm -hmm. away. Uh, and finally, you know, like, like uh, you, we both, we got caught while one we couldn't slip out of. Yeah. Well, and, and I think uh, that's the danger that, unfortunately, um, because I don't think... We lost uh, a former patient just a couple weeks ago. And um, it's a young man that had been with us several times. And, uh, it, you know, it always hits you hard, especially when they're young. I mean, every life is precious, right. but I think when they're young. Mm -hmm. They're just not supposed to die yet. They're just not supposed to die yet. And I don't for a second believe that he thought he would that last time. Yeah. I don't think anyone does. And I think that's the danger of our disease, especially for anyone, whether it's coming out of treatment or whether you've been sober for a period of time, because, okay, so, hey, things are falling off. You're not telling anybody. You're, you're not reaching out. You're not doing these things that we've been taught. We're not dipping into that spiritual kit of tools. Mm -hmm. And we have that drink. Or we have that one and nobody knows, right. and nobody saw. And guess what? The wheels didn't fall off my life. Yeah. Nobody's beating on the door with uh, handcuffs. And my brain registers that as a win. Right, yep. And then the next time it becomes that much easier. Yeah. And I'm not confused about those things today. And it scares me sometimes. I think that's why it's so important to stay plugged in to that support group because we have a disease that, you know, all those, like you said, those little cliche, those little sayings that drive you nuts, but they're time tested and true. And over time, I've realized that I've seen it. I've seen it in my own journey. I've seen it in the journey of others and how important it is to be diligent. And one of the things that I love telling patients is this is not a tedious thing. It really does become a working part of the mind. Yeah. It's no different than anything else that I do. It's not like there's this I don't know how to explain it. It's just part of one's routine. Yeah. And this really is the easier, softer way. Absolutely it is. <laughs> Absolutely it is. 
I love living like it at first, but I am just so comfortable in my life today. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I always have to say, you know, because we all know that and I don't know why, but you know, things happen still. (laughs) There are bumps in the road. Absolutely. Uh, What that bumps don't jar me the way they once did. Uh, I can I can slow down over the speed bump and take it easy. Well, and, sure. Instead of doing what I used to do, you know. So and the realization a, that even sober, I can I'm still an alcoholic and I can still create problems. Yeah. So sometimes my problems are still of my own making. Right. But you're absolutely right. How I walk through them. Yeah. How I walk through them is very different today yeah. than how I used to. Yeah. Uh, my father lives with me and he was out here just the other day and uh, he's working where I'm out here working uh, I'm finding myself doing what I love to do and making a living doing it and what they say well, somebody else said that you know if you if you can do that you never work a day in your life mm. or whatever and he's working on some of these tools in here with my grandfather's wow and then my father's and now mine and so cool. now I sit out here with my dad and we fiddle around and he watches and he gets he likes to polish on them that's and nice. So he got all heated up the other day, and and I saw him come in, and he sat down in that chair, and mm-hmm. I saw his posture was not, you know, because we're c- close, similar mm-hmm. to what that support thing we're talking about. Well, I can see him, and he sat down, and I could tell that he was not okay, and uh, he said, "Give him a wet towel," and he'd overheated, you know, and he was oh, no. give me a wet towel, and so I did, and after a minute, I realized he had not moved for a few minutes. And I go over and pull the towel off his face, and I thought he was gone. Oh, my goodness. He was, eyes were open, and he was completely, he was just gone. Oh, goodness. And I felt his hand, I held his hands, and they were cold. They were cool. And, uh, and I couldn't see him breathing, and I couldn't find a pulse. This was Sunday morning. Wow. Sunday morning. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, and Dad had made me, uh, when Mom passed away a few years ago, Dad had, had sat down, and we had this talk, and he had made we had made it, I will say he made me, but that's not the right verbiage. But we had come to an agreement that he did not. He said, I'm ready to go. I'm not in any hurry. But, and mom really struggled on some things with some DNRs, and they actually brought her back mm. on a DNR. Yeah, and, uh, I can go on and on about that. Yeah, and I, I, again, that's some of the grace that I have today rather than getting pissed off about it uh, then is that I'm sure that team just fell back to their training. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, that's what they do. That's what they're trained to do, you know, and I can't be mad about that, right? Uh, and Dad said he didn't want to go that way. Sure. And my father sat and looked at me in the eyes and said, uh, you know, if that happens, I don't want you calling an ambulance, and I don't want you uh, taking extreme life-saving measures. He said, just hope. He said, just hold my hand and let me go. And I thought I was doing that. That mm-hmm. I thought I was doing that Sunday morning. Wow. You know, and to have that now, you know, after a few minutes, I'm just talking to him calmly, and I really think he's gone. I, I really thought that he was yeah. not there, and he jolted awake. And uh, God love it. And you know, and it took a while. And and my ex-wife and I, that's another miracle recovery, is that we're really good. You know, in really good place with one another. Good. I mean, a super good place with one another. Good. And uh, she lives just right out the road, and she's my. She was an ICU nurse for a long, long wow. time, and uh, it has a great deal of knowledge in that. And you know, so when I needed some help, and I called mm-hmm. her, and she was over here in a few minutes and brought her stuff and checked his vitals and talked to him and did the Wonderful. stuff that she knows how to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, she still loves my dad, and we were together for of 17 course. years, and. 
we now have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. Uh, and she took his temperature. It was 94 degrees. Oh, wow. And uh, that's it. But everything else registered out okay. But that where I'm going to go full circle is, is that I don't flip out when that kind of stuff mm -hmm. happens, you know. I was way calmer. And it's almost like stepping outside of yourself for mm -hmm. a few minutes because, like, I'm like, hold on. That dude was not me, you know. It doesn't. That is not the reaction that Dan usually gives mm -hmm. when he is put under a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and to find those things become that working part of the mind is what you said earlier that you know that I can I can respond with some you know in a reasonable manner today and that's something that I really never my my real conflict resolution tool or any kind of stress resolution tool my default was to bolt. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. You know, get in a fight. We, we, we get in a tense situation with the wife. I'm leaving. Yeah. Uh, I'll be back later. Uh, you know, any kind of that stuff. I, I, I left. And to be able to sit in it today and, and be with it, you know, and those, you know, we're right about the same time wise as far as duration. You know, my five years of recovery, you know, my mom has passed away. Uh, I administered the final doses of that medicine that I would have liked to have. Sure. Uh, and sure. When, the, when the hospice people said, would you like me to take this medication away? I said, yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, those kind of things of watching how we operate and, and, mm -hmm. and do this thing for real. Uh, my father couldn't do that. He couldn't, he couldn't, do, he couldn't administer that mm -hmm. medication. And I sat by my mother's side. And, and she passed away in her own home, uh, surrounded by her loved ones. That's how my peacefully. mom lived. And, you know, I don't know what you could ask for anything more than that. Absolutely. And, and, and be able to walk through that stuff in a healthy manner is a result of having worked these steps multiple times. And having well, it's a, a miracle for that, people like us. That, that is there because when something happens... So my sponsor like takes a, he, it's not really a Sabbath thing, but he still, and I think that's a good, you know, there's logic big time. He takes Sunday off. And for the longest time, uh, I was to call him every day. And mm -hmm. as I hit some point, he said, then he said, hey man, I usually take Sundays off. So let's just, uh, <laughs> if it's emergency, call me. But otherwise I'm, I'm off the clock on, on, on Sundays. Sundays. And, and I honor and respect that. But that Sunday, I said, mm -hmm. and, and he's yeah. back to me in a hurry, you know. Yep. And, uh, and I have that support. I know I don't have to do things alone anymore, you know, for a long time. Well, when I broke in that house and got caught, you know, I remember running around the streets. And one of the things that kept going in my head was, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'd slipped, the, I'd slipped through the fingers. He didn't, I got caught and he pepper sprayed me and ball batted me and, but I got away and, uh, and now I'm running the streets and he knows where I live at mm. and he came over and he wrecked my house with a ball with that same ball bat and, uh, and I don't know what to do and I don't know what sure. to do and I don't know what to do and, and I didn't, I truly didn't. Yeah. But then there was a time down the road a little bit after I had started working, doing this work that when I said, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to yeah, I do. I'll call my sponsor. I have something to do today. Uh, and it's almost like a little, you know, like you know, the text tone that goes, 
ding. <laughs> it's like ding. Call your sponsor. I have something that I can do to deal with this this time. Yeah. And we have a little, we, you know, group me, the app. Mm-mm. It's a little chat. It's a group chat thing. And it's a way like some people communicate. And it's not group text, but it's almost like a message board, but it's private. Okay. And so me and my buddies, we have group me cool. chats. So that if anybody at any time needs somebody, and we get up in the morning and we say good morning to one another. And, you know, and everybody comes in and says good morning. And uh, some people post some uh, inspirational stuff. And, and sometimes somebody's in a pickle. Sure. And they can go. And instead of reaching out to somebody, they go, hey, this is going on. Mm-hmm. And people, somebody out of the group, a number of them are available. And that person didn't really have to run down the phone list. They just kind of casted the net out there, knowing that our brothers are just waiting around mm-hmm. and ready to help if, uh, when, when help is needed. That's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. And it's also, uh, I think, amazing how it extends to really all avenues because um, whether it's if somebody needs something, you know, that paying it forward, uh, you know, as far as you're going to find a multitude of everything within the AA community, all of these uh, talented people who do things. Somebody is always willing to lift something, tote something, move something, paint something. I mean, it's amazing how we all come together for whatever it is, for those milestones. You know, for us Healing Place alums, it's that, you know, moving out of sober living or once you're done silver chipping on property and you're in your own place, you know, um, it's, it's crazy. There are still times when I will walk into my apartment and I will just stop and I will just take a breath and I will say, thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. I have such, I'm so much better steward today of the things that I have Yeah. because they were so honestly acquired. I'm just a better steward. I'm yeah. um, more cognizant of that helping and paying it forward and not just in the sense of tithing at church but there's always these opportunities and it's not always a monetary thing uh, sometimes it's as simple as you know we have a medicaid facility that's next to saint mary's in louisville and my sponsor always jokes because we're healing place alum that those are our people because mm-hmm. they're literally coming with nothing right if they're lucky a bag in their hand so they have a clothing closet there, and they're yeah. always looking for donations to help these folks out. Uh, my church has certainly stepped up and will help anytime there's a call that's put out. I go to a really big church. Um, the big one? The big one, yeah. I go to the New Albany campus. Um, but it's just amazing how just these little things and how the thoughts are always there of the, just those simple things that one can do to pay it forward. And for me as a Christian— when I learned first about the spiritual principles attached to the steps, and I love them, mm-hmm. for me, that's how my faith and my program all came together. So several months ago, couldn't tell you when, I'm at church, and Kyle, obviously pastors get asked, how do I know if I'm living in God's will versus my will? Yeah. Now, he's not speaking of recovery, but it felt so apropos that I've used it more than once. And here's what he said. I don't know that God is so concerned about the destination 
as the character of the person on the journey. Hmm. So I use that because what I say to sponsees is, if you are practicing those spiritual principles, if you're working to be a woman of integrity, how much more likely are you walking in a way that he would have you, in a direction he would have you go? Um, it's that doing the next right thing. Yeah. And for me, that's about keeping it simple. Because I think even in sobriety, we, there's this tendency to want to overcomplicate things or overthink things. Yeah, so we are good at that. We are good at that. Yeah, my, one of my favorite things is uh, as far as that God's will and, and the next right thing, uh, I can't say that I know what God's will is, and I can't say I'm absolutely certain about what the next right thing is, but I'm pretty solid on what is not God's mm. will. <laughs> and Amen. I'm pretty solid on when Amen. I'm not doing the right thing. Yeah, we just kind of know. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of know. Yeah. I would agree with that. I've done enough of that. And still. A lot of things started with that. I probably shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Well, if no one catches me, if no one knows. That's that sick as our secrets kind of stuff. Amen. And isn't it crazy how long, how long I held on to those, did not want to let that go. Mm -hmm. Got a firm grasp on it. Yeah. You were talking a little bit earlier about something and you went a little bit different direction than what I was thinking, but you know that. That energy behind this where you looked at those steps and how insurmountable they looked and how they looked like they were designed to punish you and all that that we wrapped up around this work. And then you get through to the other side of it and it's like, why did I wait so yeah, long? Yeah, because it's liberating. Uh, it absolutely is liberating. That, you know? And I love that energy to offer uh, somebody else that's in the steps too. Mm -hmm. and you were saying something earlier about what sounded like a lot of encouragement to our fellows and things about uh, like you're uh, celebrating these milestones as people will go through the healing place and, and make these steps and really celebrate them is what I heard you say. And yes. I believe that said, you know, and encourage each other by that celebration around these milestones. And I, that to me, I subscribe to that big time too. Like, like a little bit over the top, you know, I, sure. mean, I like, uh, why not? We're making, we're making progress and let's, you know, let's shout that from the rooftop, you know, to one another. Except when they get confused and somehow think, and forgive me, uh, I hope this doesn't sound too facetious, but um, it always kind of gets my goat when I'll see someone post um, that they just got a new car or whatever it is, something that they purchased. Mm -hmm. Those nine-step promises are coming true. Oh, yeah, that bugs me too. It's yeah. like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. And I think, oh, no, bless it. You know, because I believe today, you know, I had stuff, didn't make me happy, didn't make me whole. If the Lord wants me to have it again, I'll have it again. I live much simpler mm -hmm. today than I did in times past. I'm far more at peace and happier. And know that the things that I have, I'm a better steward. They're things that I earned rightly and for the right reasons. My name is on the lease, you know. I'm not couch surfing. I'm not homeless. And I mean, there was just so much nonsense. So what an amazing gift. And I think that is part of it, um, the celebrating those milestones. And when we earn them for the right reasons, under the right conditions, uh, and that we can appreciate them and um, that we're cognizant that it's not of our own doing. Right. That all of these things 
um, that we should find gratitude in, yeah, that they are gifts. And, and really, if you think about it, if I think about it, did I really deserve them? I mean, there's times I kind of quip or I'll joke that if I was caught for everything, that I probably would have been under Pee Wee Valley. Um, but th- really, is that too far off the truth, you know, the mark? Yeah. Because there were a lot of things that I, that I was never really punished for, that I should have been. And can I, the best that I can do today, in a lot of regards, is a living amends. My mother didn't get to see me sober. Mm. She died with me still using. So how do I honor her memory? You know, I've got a child in the madness. So what I know today is the only gift that I can give is to continue to stay sober and to continue to pray. He's been in recovery before. There's always the hope that he can make it back. But the rest, I have no power over. He's mm-hmm. 27 years old. Yeah. He's not a child. Um, and we can make ourselves crazy with the, the what-ifs. But the reality is I spent a lot of years blaming my parents. And my mother, who was a wealth of sayings, I remember when I was about 16 years old, this, always, this has stuck with me my whole life. She said the most poignant moment on the road between childhood and adulthood is that moment when we realize that our parents are just human. Mm. You know, they didn't become superheroes because they became parents. Right. And, and I think that I went through most of my life, you know, holding my parents to some sort of standard or, you know, you didn't love me good enough. It, it was always somebody else's fault right. yeah. for why I'm miserable. These outside circumstances. All these outside circumstances. If you had it like I had it, you would drink too. You would yes, use too. You absolutely. Would. If you had my life. Yeah. And at some level, you know, we are so cookie cutter, didn't you know? We all have our individual things, but man, when you yeah, you, you hear these these common stories over and over again. Absolutely. So cookie cutter. My sponsor is a counselor at uh, at the Brook. Okay. And uh, and has been for quite some time, you know, and he will talk of that, you know, that, you know, everybody can, you know, there's, there's really only like three or four different kind, there's three or four different people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're all a version of one another, but. Uh, but we don't like to think so. No, no very yes. unique. You know? Don't you know who I am? It's interesting. I kind of landed <laughs> on that today, you know, when I was talking to somebody <laughs> about like this whole COVID virus thing has created that, you know, that. Because I've picked up on this thing about, like, when people will tell me, I've noticed these people that, like, have a, um, they've got a bad knee. Mm-hmm. And it is the worst bad knee the doctor's ever seen. Now, I've never heard anybody say, <laughs> I just got a medium bad knee. Exactly. You know? And and then these this whole thing about whether if you're essential mm. or not. You yes. Know, I've been deemed essential. As have and, I. Yeah. As I, have I. Like, you know, to me, I'm pretty essential. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm okay saying that. I didn't that need a today. virus to tell me that. Right, yeah. But uh, it, I just, this little, that terminal uniqueness is oh, one yeah. of the things we talk about. And, and I've noticed it like, uh, and I don't know if my antenna's up, you know, I had to watch out because sometimes that will be that mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, shining back at me, and I go, hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that what that is? Hmm. Uh, yeah, the uh, um, just that uniqueness of how we we think that uh, 
And it's, that is not, that's a human condition thing. It's, I think it's amplified in the alcoholic and addict world, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's part of this human condition that we are all uh, a little more unique than. Yeah. And there's probably some DNA kind of stuff, some, some hardwire, and it makes that, you know, some self-preservation. There's some. Sure. There's, some, there's something behind that, uh, that that makes you get to do that. I'm always real clear that this ain't me. Uh, like being able to do this podcast, you know, it fell out of the sky, right? And 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 of my own power, I'm not capable of really doing this. Uh, this past weekend, I have hosted a seventh uh, men's retreat that I've done. Nice. Well, I have a place out in the country, and uh, and uh, by Patoka Lake, and it was built on drugs and alcohol. The dad, my dad, and my brother and I built a log cabin out there in the summer of '99, summer and fall of '99, and uh, and now I have a place that's where I go do fist steps at. Wow! I take people down there. And that's we cool. Spend the night. And, oh wow! Uh, fix dinner and we do a fist step and they get that insulation cushion, which is really cool. And that's what I mean about this earlier about making these celebrations. Make this something special. Mm-hmm. Make it meaningful. You know, not just go through the motions. Sure. And uh, and I amp that up a little bit. You know, maybe you know not over the top, but and and, and you know, and I think it's a good thing. It's it causes it to be. Uh, uh, even though it's a very meaningful experience anyway, why not juice it up a little bit? Sure. And uh, so we just come off of that to uh, the weekend before last and had 16 guys down at the cabin and, and uh, for That's a weekend awesome. of growth and we work. We don't just go down there and we do some playing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a yoga teacher. And, okay. and I, that's another one of my growth spurt things over through recovery. Uh, I don't currently teach. It was more of a personal thing. I didn't know where it will go. I don't know if I will teach. I teach my buddies. So when we go down there for the weekend, we can wake up in the morning and we can do some yoga. Okay. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm part of the, also been introduced to what's a mankind project, which is a men's work thing mm-hmm. that's a lot like uh, AA without the alcohol cessation, cessation <laughs> where it's men's work and, and men making men better men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did some of that kind of stuff in the growth and, and so what I'm going to come full circle again, I've had a huge amount of blessings like the retreat, like being able to do this podcast, like this wood shop. This wood shop was manifested in recovery. Uh, of getting to do these things of being able to be there for my father mm-hmm. now that mom is gone and he doesn't have, you know, we can buddy up here and he's had frankly a lot of help. Uh, and, and, and of my own making, I'm not capable of this stuff. This is, this is, this is the power of the 12 steps in a man's life and, 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 and doing this thing as well as I can manage day by day. You know, at some point I pushed all my chips to the middle of the table. I had hmm. to, I had to ante all the way up, yeah. uh, and, and and that's what you know. That's that was the turning point. You know, I stand at the turning point. Asked for your care and protection. I shoved those chips to the middle of the table and said, you know, I don't know what else to do. Yeah, absolutely. I've spoke on this too. You know, I felt like a black. It felt like I was in a cardboard box. It was painted black on the inside, and there was a little pinhole down in one corner of light shining through, and that little pinhole was the 12 steps. 
and the sponsor sticking his hand out to me. And I didn't think I could fit through that hole. <laughs> I didn't think it would work. And, but none of that really mattered. Yeah. Uh, that was the only light shining in, and I reached for it. And my, you know, my life, the trajectory of my life shifted. We do, uh, we offer these 12 steps in Louisville to people who are not alcoholics and addicts. A thing called 12 step spiritual recovery where anybody can come get the 12 step tools. I've always been a believer that uh, you don't have to be an alcoholic to benefit from working the steps. Yeah, and so we have people coming in that are not alcoholics and they're working this and doing this work and having the same Mm -hmm. results in their lives and uh, you know because it's not AA and it's not NA and it's not yeah. you know, some of the things we don't necessarily have to follow the traditional rules because you sure know, uh, and, and and I'm sponsoring a couple of women because uh, of why because they asked me to and I talk to my sponsor and I stay accountable in three elements in my life primarily. My higher power, if I get the nudge and don't get any of the, you shouldn't do this, you know, and I have to be <laughs> real honest with myself there when I'm, go when I'm going down that path. Sure. Where am I, Dan? Where are you exactly with this? Mm -hmm. uh, my sponsor uh, is, what do you think, Christopher? You know, and my support group, my, my close support group. And if those elements nod me forward I think I'm in a good you know uh, that's like my 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 sanity check mm -hmm. that, that I'm okay doing it and so yeah and uh, and I don't intend to continue to do that but we're brand new and there just aren't we need to get those tools into some of these gals hands so mm -hmm. that they can then pass it on yeah and, uh, and, and, and I can do that. And uh, it's actually been a huge blessing because I'm getting a whole nother element, you know, something I didn't see. I'm getting a voice in my life, a perspective in my life that I probably wouldn't be getting in any other way to mm -hmm. have these gals in my life that I can talk to the way that we communicate mm -hmm. in recovery and they can talk to me the same way in that open, calm, open, frank manner and uh, and I'm getting some perspective that that I that 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 I treasure, and I wouldn't be getting had I not stepped outside and done a little stretching out of my comfort zone, <laughs> uh, uh, trying it. So it's uh, these blessings. Uh, sometimes it feels unfair of all the things that I'm getting to do and mm -hmm. and the gifts I'm receiving as a result of this stuff. Uh, of, of doing this thing because uh, not everybody you know everybody's different right uh, I have sponsored one guy and he was homeless when he asked me to sponsor him mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to do that sure you know and I thought of all the differences I don't have any experience being homeless I don't have any you know there's a million reasons why I couldn't sponsor this guy but something said do it anyway you know and the same tools work and what his miracles in his life are not the kind that I'll get, they're a whole different batch, but nonetheless, but no less powerful, right? right? And everybody has that that uh, that path, and 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 to be able to change that trajectory of your life is a is a miracle. It is, um, and for me, it has been about uh, taking the blinders off, um, and I think I kind of got off 
course earlier, but that was really kind of where I was going with that. So I had this idea of where my life was supposed to go and what it was supposed to look like. And in recovery, I, I don't pass by the open windows anymore. And I'm open to um, other things. Like if you had said to me that I was going to be a patient financial counselor at a recovery center, I would have went, well, what on earth do I possibly know about that? Mm-hmm. But it, the way that it's all come together and how I've embraced it and how much I enjoy it and how it also lends itself to being there as far as conversations about recovery and God, retention. So I play a role in that. My conversations are never just about money. Yeah. Not with a patient and not with their families. I thought about that earlier too. I thought, you know, we're going to come in and talk to the financial person and they're like, uh, hold on. That's not what I want. You know, that, that's not who I thought I was coming to talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's another support. So how did that, how did that come about? That you um, I had um, been doing just some PRN uh, tech work, just to shift here and there. And PRN means? Just as needed. Yeah. And. I know that, but. Uh, oh. oh, gotcha. <laughs> so uh, it was really sort of at a crossroads in my life. Um, maybe this is too much backstory. So, no, um, so. I, I made a conscious decision to stay single. I felt like, especially early in recovery, what did I really have? That it was my time to work on Jamie. And I committed to that. So I was almost three years into this thing before I made the decision to kind of put myself back out there. Uh And um, when that ended, um, I certainly saw myself walking through a breakup in a very different way than Mm -hmm. I would have in years past. Um, My sponsor gave me a couple of days of poor pitiful Jamie and then it was you know let's put your big girl panties on let's do some work Um, and there were times early on because it was painful where all I could do was just the next thing in front of me Mm -hmm. and the next thing you know I've walked through this and I don't even realize that I'm applying these things that I've learned and I never walked a step alone Um, so what an amazing gift so I'm in this journey and I had put my resume back out there because for so long I just kept thinking, okay, you've just got to get through all of these things that Kentucky Board of Nursing has asked you to do, and you'll go back to nursing. This is what you're trained to do. This is what you'll do. Well, I have more than one degree, and I've done other things. So suddenly I start thinking that maybe I should sort of broaden my horizons a little bit. And I'm looking at Indeed, ZipRecruiter, I don't know what I was looking at, and it pops up. And oddly enough, what the job turned out to be was not really what was posted. I reached out to the business office manager and said, hey, did you guys just post? She's like, I don't know. Hit hit send. And next thing you know, I get a phone call, and they ask me to come in, and they interview me. About two weeks go by, and I'm thinking, because I told them, because I was a little confused, because I'm like, that's just not what the ad was. And he was like, well, let's talk. 
So we talk, and I assured them, um, I have a background in a lot of things, but I know nothing about insurance. And the president of whatever he is was in town at that time and sat in on my interview. And I remember him looking up from his laptop, and he said, teachable skill. Ah. And then the only other question he asked me was the very last question is he asked me what my spirit animal was. But that's a whole other story. Uh-huh. So like about, about two weeks go by, and I'm thinking I just wasn't the right fit. And I'm sitting in that 1030 meeting, phone, of course, on silent. And I look down, and sure enough, it's the executive director. And I'm like, oh. So I ran out and checked the message, and we played phone tag a little bit, and he offered me the job. Cool. And uh, I'll celebrate a year, uh, the 28th of this month. Nice. That and cool. I'm the first patient financial counselor in a facility for Landmark, so it really sort of has been my baby. Uh, I had to learn a lot of things on my feet, and I love it in a way that I never realized that I would. When things started happening in my life, my sponsor encouraged me, and he doesn't quite remember this, but to start writing them down, and I call it my miracle list today. So like all those little coincidences, he said, you know, one day you will forget them. Mm. They will, the memory will fade, you know, and they'll pop back up, right, you know, when the right trigger happens and sure. you think about it. But, uh, but I'm so grateful that he did that because it's a little bit like a long-term gratitude list in a way, mm. and, and it's mine. You know, it's not for you, mm-hmm. although I do share it at mm-hmm. times and get pieces of it out and stuff. So, you know, I get to determine what is a miracle in my life. That's right. And uh, and those kind of things like you just said there, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that I, you know, because if you would write that out, that's not really supposed to happen, right? You know, you didn't, it wasn't the right job opening. Right. It wasn't, you know, uh, what the big bosses in town just happens to sit in on my mm. interview. Yeah. I mean, were you really qualified? I mean, you know, was your position really lent itself to that guy being in the room with you? Right. Probably not. You know, he probably has other things to do than to, to, to interview for, for whatever it was you were in there for. And, uh, and, and those little how God puts the pieces in place. Always. And I never, you know, once in a while, I will actually get to witness that happening, right? Most of the time I look back on it. And my sponsor has a little thing. He goes, you know what that is, don't you? You know, and the first couple of times he said that, I didn't know what to do with that. But now we <laughs> use that as a little tagline between us, a little teaser that we know like a code word. You know what that is, don't you? And uh, But sometimes I get a glimpse of it falling into place mm-hmm. and when I actually get that uh, that's almost a little frightening um, in a way because it's so it feels so plugged in uh, like the retreat I felt that way the whole time everything was just like falling into place it was like showing up for the teams and I said this on the last podcast it's like when the Super Bowl teams are running out on the field and they're like okay we made it here let's do this uh, I had an amend to do out in the backyard one day, and I didn't know that it was going to happen. And it was a guy who had bell-batted me and, and pepper-sprayed me. Oh, wow. And uh, at some point, his niece had showed up at my doorstep. I told you about the dog. That's my daughter's dog. Mm-hmm. The niece had showed up on my doorstep one day and scared me. This was just recently, uh, back in the fall. 
and uh, I look out the window. I'm getting ready to take a Sunday afternoon nap. One of my favorite things to do is naps, and, uh, and I'm really good at it. I've got trophies on the wall inside for it. Uh, and I'm getting ready to take a nap and uh, get interrupted, and I go out, and I'm a little bit bothered that my nap got mm. stopped and uh and I look out there and the last time I remember seeing this girl she had was uh, being told to call 911 on me and while her uncle laid into me with pepper spray and a ball bat mm-hmm. and I have no idea why she's standing on my porch sure and I look out and I'm she goes that dog in the backyard is it friendly like yeah she said can my dog play with your dog? Oh, wow. It's with me, too. And inside my head, I'm going, you know who I am, right? <laughs> you remember what I did? Yeah. And she's just doing that. So we walk out here, and we let the dogs play. And uh, and I didn't ever want that dog to begin with. It was not, I didn't get, I wasn't, you know, I told you how good a relationship we have when we do, but I didn't get consulted on the acquisition of that dog. Mm. And, uh. So I told her, you know, if you want to, let your dog come over any time you want to. Let your dog play. So there would be times, and, and I'd see her, I'd look out, and the dogs would be playing. She might be sitting in my lawn chair in the backyard. And I told her, that's cool, you know, whatever, come on over. Neat. It's a little bit of like um, that um, living them in kind of thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's just putting out my stuff and saying, you know, hey, I'm open. And uh, one day i come home from lunch and i'm sitting there on the patio and the gate rattles and i assume it's her bringing the dog over and i look over my shoulder and it's him Mm -hmm. and we had not talked uh there was an epo out for a while so i was off the hook early on i could not speak to him for Mm -hmm. two for three years uh and uh and i had to stay so many yards away you know if i'm cutting my grass i'm pressing the limits of being too close to him that's what this is a neighbor and uh, and that's so well, that's one of those points where right when I looked over my shoulder and I saw him standing there, I knew why he was standing there, and it didn't take me a second to come to realize that. And when I stood up, he started backpedaling, like he was get you know he was not expecting me. He didn't see me sitting there. Mm-hmm. The, like the the grill was between me and the fence, mm-hmm. and I was sitting down. And when I stood up and said his name, he started like you know getting in defensive mode to like go and I said uh, I've been waiting to talk to you and I coached enough guys through amends and done enough amends of myself on my own and this one was prepared for we prepare for amends in my lineage we don't just do them we actually set intention and prepare for them and uh, and then set them aside if they're not able to be done with the hopes that with the opportunity when God gives you that opportunity you will still be prepared to execute that yeah. amends when needed. And there it went and it happened. And that's why I was to go, like I said, to watch one of them like that come. And you knew exactly, I like, it feels like you're standing in God's direct sunlight for a minute. Mm. You know, that he's saying, okay, here, you know what to do. And and both of us, as I, as I told him, uh, admitted to him, and owned my stuff he started crying and mm-hmm. I did too and there four years ago four and a half years ago some number you said something about not knowing how and everybody's heard us a million times if I knew I was going to be telling this story I'd have kept better track uh, <laughs> four years ago uh, 
he's beat me with a ball bat and pepper spraying me. And today we're standing across the fence with dogs at our feet in tears because two souls came together and patched a gap. Yeah. And, uh, and the energy in the neighborhood has completely shifted, and then he moved away. So God made that happen just in time, too. That he did. And uh, those are, like I said, the stories, and I got a million of them. Uh, I say that, we too. get to have these, these things. And that's why I invite people in here. Uh, and you had said to begin with is uh, to, to not get too uh, wore down in the war stories because we all know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm more interested in is the miracles as a result of doing that because when you come in and you speak your miracles and my guest next week comes in and they speak their miracles and the guy's sitting out there on his couch that can't, thinks that miracles can't happen for him or the gal, mm-hmm. uh, they are available to you. And, and, and by us telling our stories, we make that known. I agree, and I I share all the time that there's nothing unique or special or different about me. I just let go and did the work. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why I love page 317 so much. I'll have to look that up again because that's a page number that uh, I am not as familiar with as uh, obviously as you are. We hear 417 a bunch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but 317 is, I will, that's another one of those gifts. Because see, that's the little bell goes off when you say that. And I go, well, I was supposed to hear that today. And there's something there for me. Uh, I love it. It's just, uh, there's just right there in the middle. It's like three paragraphs. And uh, it is just always stuck with me. And I always, whenever I speak, I always end with it. Um, because it just reminds me, you know, that I have been given the power of choice. And once I've been given it, what do I do with it? And this is something that I also share with patients sitting in my office. Okay, so you've gotten through this, you've got this junk out of your system so that you can start drawing a sober breath and having a sober thought. You've been giving this power of choice, this gift. And it all sort of intersects with, you know, my belief in God that we've been given this. Uh, he loved us so much, he gave us free will. So mm-hmm. going forward, what are you going to do with this power of choice. Going forward, you get to decide what your legacy is. We don't know when we're getting called home, but going forward, you do get to decide what this life will look like for you and what your legacy is. And my encouragement is, don't let it be another statistic. Yeah, be around to tell your own stories, one of my friends say. I don't want them telling my story. Yeah. I wanna be here telling my story. Yep. You know, we do a little exercise in the mankind thing one day because it was a pretty intense training too and they said we get to choose you get to choose you know and you said we get to decide you know what we're going to do today mm-hmm. and uh and and we chanted it you know i get to choose yeah how my day's going to go today well my and first no sponsor she used to tell me that everything comes down to what are you prepared to do today um, and again, it comes back to that, that power of choice. And it's always mine. Mm-hmm. And whether I cut and run, you know, whether I choose, and that's not to say that I'm always going to choose correctly. Um, I'm going to continue to make mistakes. It's what I do with them today. 
uh, one of my least favorite things, and I had a sponsee use this on me once after she had bolted from the healing place. She washes up at St. Jude's and tracks me down, and we finally get together, and we're talking, and I'm just listening at first. I'm just listening because, of course, she's going to be, you know, spewing her story and her bit of nonsense, and that's okay. That's where she was at Mm -hmm. at that time. And then she, so I finally stop her because it is just, we're going in circles here and it's just a lot of nonsense. So I finally stop her and I said, why am I here? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, why am I here? Well, you're my sponsor. Am I? Because I don't recall my phone ringing before you bolted out the door. And then things started to get uncomfortable because now we're getting down to the nitty gritty Mm -hmm. of it. Um, So... What are you prepared to do now? And she very smugly said to me, well, Jamie, you know, it's not how you fall down. It's how you get back up. And I said, well, that's true. I said, but in the context of the alcoholic, do you think we get an infinite number of chances of this? Eventually, we don't get back up because we're dead. And I said, so, you know, my disease likes loopholes, plan Bs. It likes those things. So if I live in a state of reservations, um, inevitably, all I'm doing is waiting for the next one. And all of this is what? And you have the right to do all of it. You're grown. It's one of my favorite sayings. You're grown. I've heard it. (laughs) Uh, And you have the right to decide what your legacy is. My encouragement is, yeah. And I used to do all of that nonsense. And I think sometimes people forget. I had a father on the phone the other day. Mm. His child's only 18 years old. Mm. He's scared to death, and fear comes out in a lot of different ways. But he's just adamant, I really, really, really need to talk to her therapist because the therapist really needs to understand, you know, my daughter, you know, she she lies, she manipulates. And I'm grinning on the phone because he's just so concerned that this little girl is going to snow us. But this is all he knows. This is his reality, and this is the, this is the juncture that the family is in. Yeah. And there's no playbook for this. No. There is no playbook for watching someone you love self-destruct. And families, I've seen it come out in all different ways. Fear comes out in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And here he is watching his little girl self-destruct, 18 years old. And he's desperate to, do, to make it stop. Um, but again, a lot of it is just the blessing of being, um, a kind voice on the phone. And especially when people hear that not only am I in recovery, but I know both sides of the coin that I have a child Mm -hmm. who's in the madness. Yeah, definitely. So that I understand all of that. Um, they they can't, they're, they're loophole. You just don't understand. Falls a little short. Falls a little short. It does. It does. But, um, I think that all of those things did align for me to be where I am today, as with all things in my life, if I'm open to them. Right. If I'm not constantly living with those blinders on and deciding what my life is supposed to look like and where mm-hmm. I'm supposed to go if I'm so rigid in that and I'm so grateful. I think that's one of the gifts that this program has definitely given me and my relationship with God. I was not raised in the church my mother was a spiritual person, but I was not raised in the church. I was saved and baptized as an adult. Um, you know, so my journey began there. And um, 
another mom saying is we invest in the things that matter to us. So I invest in my relationship with God. I invest in my relationship to the program, mm-hmm. and I see the fruits of that. Right. And I think that's true for all relationships. And that's the way that I look at Jesus. It's the way that I look at God. So um, in the beginning, it felt weird and awkward, and what do I say, and how do I pray, and what right do I even have saying anything? I'm such a piece of whatever, and, you know, just nonsense because I'm so very unique. No one's ever been as bad as me. God could never love me. Just nonsense. I've crossed the line. Absolutely. How dare I? What right do I have to show up now? Yeah, some of that was, you know, I don't know. I feel like some of that was taught to me, you know. Uh, I'll question now today because so much of it is like, what did I take on above and beyond what was actually being taught? Sure. But uh, we did that old training. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, at some level, we were we were trained like Pavlov's dogs almost. At oh, some sure. Level to uh, to do that, and untraining that stuff is is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but it can be done. It is, um, and it's. Um, I, I can still catch myself. Because, especially like things, you know, my mother was my role model, and she was a tough act to follow. She was the most stoic woman I've ever known, the bravest woman I've ever known. My mother was always the picture of composure. I never, my mother did not raise her voice. She was not a screaming, crying, histrionic kind of person. She Mm. was always the picture of composure. Never saw her cry. She was a tough act to follow. So I grew up thinking most of my life that I was too much. Um, So there's just so many things um, that even today I can find myself still fighting against because they are just so ingrained that I'm supposed to present in a certain way or behave in a certain way or not show certain things. That at times, and especially when you work in in a field where people die, mm-hmm. when you suffer from things. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. Right, yeah. Um, and when you deal with those sorts of things on a daily basis, I still um, struggle with balance sometimes, with self-care, yeah. and allowing too much to build up, and then suddenly I'm crying for 24 hours because I haven't found balance. Right. Yeah, we end up like the safety valve on the water heater Mm. we just keep it and then poof yeah if we're not i can still do that that 10th step and those kind of things of being able one of the other uh sayings i picked up someplace along the line was uh i release mine i have opportunities to release negative energy to the universe through safe people Ah. Safe people don't judge me when i tell them i'm crazy yep you know, and yep. I can do that because I can't tell that to everybody. Absolutely. But if I don't allow that to come out, then I just dam up the water until I when Well, it I festers. Break, you know? Right, yeah. Yes, anything so left I'm, in the dark. I'm able to vent that stuff mm-hmm. off as needed and and safely. Yep. And that's another big word that I've been landing on a lot lately. And it, some of it comes from, a lot of it comes from that... Uh, my work with the Mankind Project is that we have a safe and tight container inside our group. Mm-hmm. It's t- safe to speak, and it's tight, and what you say won't go anywhere else. Mm. And and some of the work we do when we're in together is to create, do rituals and stuff to create that safe space 
uh, like when we come into the retreat, we smudge each other to, to symbolize the cleansing of, you know what I'm talking about, smudging with the sage? Mm. So we take sage, and I, I don't know if you smelled it when we were in here. Mm -hmm. We take sage, and we smudge each other into the group. Sage actually is an antibacterial. That's that's proven. I mean, it's not like uh, RX stuff, but we say we smudge each other and we cleanse each other and oh, wow. with the smoke. Okay. And create that sacred space for the guys to come into. So as people show up, mm -hmm. as men show up. You know, we do an initial one to create the container, and then as you come in, we smudge you and bring you into the container and make it that safe place. And I really oh. like that kind of energy, and we can do that. We do it very symbolically, like at the retreat, mm -hmm. but we keep that energy amongst us as we walk the walk together day by day, you know, without getting up in the morning and everybody going to a guy's house and <laughs> smudging in. Uh, and I really like all that, that, but again, the ceremony and, and making things special, I've said that, yeah. that uh, we've lost a lot of that in our civilization today, the, the coming of age kind of ceremonies and mm -hmm. things that, that are not really practiced today. Mm. And, uh, and this kind of replicates that and takes us back to a point where we can kind of uh, bring because I think those those rituals have been going on in human existence for time memorial. Sure. And so there's something to that, or it wouldn't last, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with this book. Mm -hmm. This book wouldn't be hanging around, and we wouldn't still be talking about it if there wasn't real substance in it. Yeah. Things that don't have substance fade off, and those rituals uh, have begun to fade off. And some of the stuff, some of the work that we do in my circles is kind of resurrected and bring it back into, uh, I like the Native American stuff, that, that flavor yeah. of, of uh, like sweat lodges mm -hmm. and, and those kind of ceremonies that, uh, that I believe at some level are connection creating, connection growing activities with one another because of what we've done together, mm -hmm. we grew closer. And because we've grown closer together, we also grow closer to higher power. And, and because that's what, that's what God wants us to do, right? Absolutely. Is, is help one another. Yes, relationship. Yeah, I relationship. absolutely agree. Yeah. And I think uh, even today that it's, um, that for the most part, I would think, that and I raised boys that we still live in a society that has certain expectations um, about how men should and should not behave, mm -hmm. what they should and should not talk about or show, mm -hmm. um, and that's unfortunate. Um, it's as simple as boys don't cry, yeah, yeah, baloney, it is baloney. Me and my friends, we cry together. That's beautiful. We, uh, That's beautiful. And it really is, you know, and I'm coming off of that. We call it juice. 
that's our word for the life force that is the unexplainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you share <laughs> something with me that is uh, touching, I would say juice. Or I say, mm. share, hey, I'll call you up. Hey, man, I just want to call you up, share some juice. Uh, a little bit ago, I was, you know, and, and, and tell you something. So that uh, uh, having those juicy moments in our lives and, and sharing them <laughs> with one another. Uh, and I totally lost my train of thought when I was talk- going down that path. But that happens to me often. Yeah. <laughs> the um, creating that juice together. And uh, from that weekend, I'm still juiced up. That's where I was going from that weekend mm-hmm. of power because, you know, uh, men got vulnerable and actually showed themselves. And we had tears and uh, and we had laughter. Yeah. And we have staying up till 2.30 in the morning talking like little kids, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of just giddy because you don't want to go to bed because this is too <laughs> much fun sitting here yeah. talking to you guys. That's good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and to have, to get to, you know, uh, that language stuff, I get to do that today. Mm-hmm. And to get to do these things is, is uh, again, it's, it's miracle stuff. I would have never begun to believe that I would be sitting where I'm sitting, coming from where I came from. Sure. Absolutely. There are times um, I think... You know, because most of my life, um, you know, I dealt with a lot of, um, you know, insecurity and mm-hmm. um, thinking too much about how the world saw me and, and not really having, not really understanding who I am. I don't know, I'm going to get all philosophical, but today I have so comfortable in my own skin. Right. Um, I can go to church by myself. I can sing my little heart out. I can cry like a baby with abandon. Um, I will pray with anyone, anywhere, at any time. But this is all growth. These are all things that came over time. And they've all been um, part of my recovery. And how all of it, it's like that ripple effect, which obviously can be a negative thing, but it can also be a very positive thing. because I can remember describing myself in the madness as being in the world of everyone else. I was that rock in that still pond. Um, but the same can be said today that there's a lot of positive things that come from my life. Or I would pray that people that are in my life would say that are positive for having me in it today yeah, versus right. what it was like to have me in it yeah. I was someone to avoid five years ago. <laughs> you know, I caused a lot of damage. I broke a lot of hearts. Um, you couldn't trust anything that came out of my mouth. I mean, it took my oldest child almost three years, Dan, before we had a conversation um, that was similar to the old times mm. where he was starting to relax and allow me to be mom again. And he went through some pretty pivotal junctures in his life all at the same time a few months ago, mm. and he is staying with me temporarily. And I will tell you that it was a beautiful, sunny day, and I'm standing at the base of the stairs, and I'm holding my breath 
as I'm listening to my child on the phone because I'm thinking, he's going to say it. He's going to ask. I hit my knees because four years prior to that, he couldn't have trusted anything that came out of my mouth, let alone that I was going to be at the same place for any length of time. So this is a story that I share with sponsees about being still and that we don't get to decide other people's pain, other people's resentments, other people's fears. I don't get to be sober for five minutes and want everything back. It just doesn't work like that. The alcoholic in me in early sobriety will believe that. But I'm so grateful for a sponsor who said, leave them people alone, get better, and just keep doing the right thing. And don't think for a second that just because you are means you get them back. You may or you may not. But that's not why we're doing this. It's not why we're getting sober and it's not we're getting well. These are beautiful things that can happen mm-hmm. and a lot of times do happen. Mm-hmm. But it's not a guarantee. Right. But you're never going to know if you don't start the journey. And so... Here's my boy with me. And this is my child who never asked for anything. Mm. He's my bohemian child. Uh, He's a musician, and he's my bohemian child. Uh, Old soul. And um, I know that he still deals with, you know, pain that I've caused. And we've, but we're rebuilding. Right. And building a relationship in a way that I didn't know that I could see as possible and I'm able to see my role in things today and take responsibility for those things to take a look at myself even when it's painful and there definitely was a time when I absolutely refused to do that yeah I was going to tuck and run yeah and I'm a grandmother congratulations mm-hmm. he's delicious He's nine. He's the um, son of my youngest, who's in the madness. Mm. But his mother is not a member of our tribe. She's an amazing young woman oh, wow. who recently graduated college. Uh, she's engaged to be married, just bought a house. I mean, she's just a good girl, and she's an amazing mother. She's never denied me access to Noah. She wants Noah to know this side of the family. Beautiful. I know she continues to care about Colin and what happens to Colin. I mean, that's the father of her child. Right. Uh, but the reality is she had to do what she needed to do to protect her child. Yeah. And I respect that. No doubt. Absolutely. Those are not easy choices to make they at are not. any level. They are not. But she's a good girl. And uh, my worry is, is that um, no one else wants to give me any other grandchildren. <laughs> but that's all right. He's delicious. Delicious. He is delicious. Too pretty to be a boy. Oh. His mother hates when I say that, but he is. Yeah. It's pretty. Pretty. He is. Yeah. You'll, uh, do you tell him that? I do. Do you? How's I he, do. How does he react to that? He just, he says I'm silly. Yeah. What's he call you? He calls me Mimi. Mimi. 
uh, Jamie, Mimi. Yeah. We just kind of let it evolve right, because, yeah. you know, everybody's divorced and married to other people or not. Right, um, yeah. So we just kind of let him create right, yeah, what he wanted to call me. That's the best thing to do. Yeah. You know, I don't really know how it happened with my grandparents. I had a grandmother and granddad and a grandpa and grandma, and I don't know how that happened, but we all did that. You know, mm-hmm. So it wasn't just me, but my dad didn't want to be called Papa. He didn't want to be called my dad. My dad didn't want to be called Grandpa. You know, and I like you know, when all that happened, I was still in the madness. I, you know, and I and like you, I, I see the pain and the things mm-hmm. that that have happened and the things that I've done to my children. Uh, when from what I was, and I was, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting to where I'm like catching up, or like on half, you know, lay uh, half as much of their life as me sober and yeah, other way around. Uh, watching uh, when dad didn't want to be called grandpa and they did that so he ended up being called Papa Tim and that you know they kids invent you know sure they be they're going to call you what they're going to what they're going to mm-hmm. call you and land with that and my daughter uh my kids went to Alateen for a while mm. uh pretty much voluntarily Wow. You know, by accident, if you believe in those things. <laughs> and uh, because I was on home incarceration, I ended up getting a year of home incarceration mm-hmm. instead of that years in prison. And, uh, and a year on home incarceration is a pretty good chunk of home incarceration. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people get that much home incarceration. Um, and there I go again. Remember, like my foot, my knee is the worst knee ever. Yeah. Uh, so they had to go where I went. When, because I had to go where I said I was going. Sure, sure. <laughs> and uh, and so they would go sit outside the meeting there at uh, Northside and wait on me. And I had a friend who recommended that they maybe go see about the Alateen there. And I, they neither one of them was teenagers, so I was like, well, you know, that don't make any sense. They're not even teenagers. <laughs> and. So I went and talked to, actually my friend went and talked to the facilitators, and they said, sure, if they're mature enough to come in here, they're fine. And uh, they really took a hold of that for a little while. And it didn't stick for a long time, but they did get armed and allowed me to open up some conversations with them that they know uh, what playing with that might do. Sure. I know it won't prevent anything. There's no, you know, but uh, it, it certainly is helpful that they know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to say a couple of things, but my son has lost some friends over the fact that he's not willing to go down that path. They're, he's 16 and they're smoking pot and mm-hmm. they're doing that kind of stuff. Sure. And my understanding, because when I started realizing that these guys weren't his friends anymore and I asked what happened, uh, of course, you know, that's the story I got, and I do believe it. My daughter actually spoke for Alateen. She wow. talked to, she's the younger of the two. And, uh, and she went around to Jefferson County School System at, in ones and did little talks in the school system for Alateen nice. to help people talk hear that. She spoke at the 25th uh, Fall City Convention as, as Alateen speaker. Cool. And you want to hear, you want to have something that's like, well, uh, powerfully impact you was listening to her talk about what, tell her story. Sure. Uh, that's tough to listen to mm-hmm. and uh but you know like our story she turned around and talked about what what it was like now 
and uh, and so they had that under those tools under their belt a little, and I credit some things and some behaviors that they do today and some things that has happened that, that the fact that they have a little of that 12-step tools and they got a 12-step and father uh, <laughs> with with them being able to walk through some things that were frankly very, very difficult to walk through. Yeah. Uh, so that ripple effect is what you were saying, you know, how we don't really even realize you don't, in the same way, I mean, this stuff is all pendulum stuff, right? The sword cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. In the same way, we didn't think we were impacting anybody with our madness. Only hurting myself. That's right. And, and all that kind of stuff uh, was incorrect. You know, we come here and we get well. And people around us seem to do better because we're better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and there's it's, no uh, rule or law there. Like I said, always have a little disclaimer. It's sure. And, and it's hard to uh, imagine that, um, that our stories uh, are going to impact someone else or help someone else. Um, but I can remember um, sitting in meetings, and even if it's just some small thing that I hear in the lead, or an open discussion meeting. Again, it all goes back to that, that common thread. Or sometimes it could be as simple as it's just that very thing that I needed to hear that very day. Um, I had a patient say the other day uh, that he just, he was giving me all these arguments of why he needed to leave treatment early. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I'm just, you know, this AA thing. And I said, well, we don't solely teach AA here. I said, we provide other avenues, you know. He said, well, you all say there's more ways to skin a cat, but all I hear is people talking about AA. And I said, well, I hear what you're saying. And the reality is that a lot of us are in recovery, and the majority of us got sober through AA. I said, might that speak a little something to you? Mm. And um, he said, well, I've been to some meetings. I said, well, the meetings aren't the program. Have you ever attempted the steps? Have you ever gotten a sponsor? Well, no. And I said, well, there's this little passage in the book that talks about contempt prior to investigation. So my encouragement is, is that we not poo-poo on something that we've not given a chance. Because I asked him, you know, um, you know, we also have people who teach smart recovery and whatever they're calling refuge now. And um, so we try to bring other things into it. But the reality is the majority of people who come in the door have some experience with AA and or that's just the reality. Yeah, they, they have the market share. Yeah, we do. And so my encouragement to him was... Um, Maybe it might be worth just really taking an honest look at before you chuck it and decide that it's not for you. Yep. Yeah, it's like, uh, we can't all be you wrong. Ask somebody if they like some particular food, and they say no. And you say, have you tried it? And they say no. <laughs> you go, how do you? And, you know, that, uh, I think that's that disease component. You know, I've heard somebody say something that uh, I really relate to, that this thing is almost like a parasite. It hijacks our operating system. 
and uh, we're really not running on our own deal, yeah. you know. So when I'm working with somebody new and like that guy, you know, mm -hmm. I can kind of look at him and in that same kind of way what the book says we grant people that harm us as being spiritually sick rather than just being jerks. Yeah. Uh, you know, this guy is not really running on his own. Yeah. The disease has got him. And, yep. And the and virus it's very in primal. the computer has taken over yep. and it looks like the computer is still working properly <laughs> but uh, the the outputs that it's given are not really the way this guy would be doing if he had his you know absolutely experience and that. i have to remember that i have to remember what it was like to sit on that side and to spew all of that nonsense um, and to remember that um you know the journey is not mine, it's yeah, theirs. Right. And that I can't want this more than they do. I can encourage, I can share my experience, strength and hope, I can do any a number of things, but at the end of the day, they've gotta want it. And then it's, what are you prepared to do today? Because unfortunately, there's no magic. And that's why I tell people all the time, there's no magic at any treatment facility. We're just here to provide you with the tools. And what you do with that, the encouragement also is, um, you know, that studies have shown that we, the collective we, do better in steps back to life. That we do better over the long haul when it isn't just inpatient treatment, the world. Mm. Let it be inpatient, outpatient, sober living, steps. So that you're starting to sort of regain some freedoms you're getting back out in the world, but yet you're still somewhat tethered as you're building that foundation. Because just like the word talks about, you know, any house. <laughs> uh, and I think the same is true for recovery. Uh, if I don't have a solid foundation and what does that look like and what does it take to form that? And you can give me all the tools in the world, but if I'm never applying them, if I'm never picking them up, if I'm never utilizing them, then it's just knowledge. Right. It's just stuff in a book. Yep. Yeah. It is, uh, because I, did you bounce around? Did you have uh, some false starts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Not everybody does. And I was just, oh, no, uh, this was, there was no straight people, trajectory. I think most people <laughs> actually do. You know, I see the little memes now and again that say, uh, uh, relapse is not part of recovery or something like that and 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 I understand where they're coming from when they say that but it seems to be uh, mm -hmm. part of most of our past because we have to we have to beat our head against the wall sure. a few times and and try all the loopholes and things like that uh, but as I did that that allows me to offer grace to those mm -hmm. that are doing the same thing now where my, once again, my default reaction is to, like, crucify them, to call them idiots and what are you doing, and, you know, that's what the old Dan wants to do. Uh, I can have some grace with them today sure. and say, hey, I did that too. Sure. And, uh, but I think there's also that mom part of me that comes oh, in, yeah. the same way you do with your children, that you don't want your children to go through the same things, when the right. reality is is that they have to go through a certain number of things the same way we did coming up yep. in the world. Right. I think it's the same sort of philosophy. Yep. The stakes are just way higher. Yeah. Um, so again, there are times I have to take a step back and I have to, to remember there's a God and it's not Jamie. Yeah. 
and you know that he puts me in a position to uh, to share certain things, to give certain encouragements, to be at a right place at a right time. And that's I think that's one of the really neat things about our retention process at work is you know knowing when to tap out because you never really know when you're the person that has that message that that person needs to hear at that moment. Right. And knowing, um, am I making this more about me or am I making it more about them? Knowing when to step away. Um, and our goal is always that they go through, I don't know, at least six people before they walk out the door. Mm. We're just going to wear you out with this stuff. And you're going to be getting a whole lot of encouragement. You're going to get a whole lot of reality uh, but at the end of the day, they're adults, and unfortunately, they have the right to go to the bitter ends if they want to. Yeah, yeah. This uh, again, that sore cutting both ways. You know that uh, ultimately you are. And I have a another gift, and people will hear it a hundred times. Uh, a friend of mine told me, "You must." He got mad, you know, a little frustrated with me, and he said, "Dan, the thing is, you must participate in your own recovery." And uh, and. I use that today when I sign off of this podcast. I use it all the time. I started using it whenever I uh, was a treasurer for my home group. That you know, whenever the last treasurer uh, was resigning after his two-year commitment, which was, I think, typical or whatever. And uh, I was the only guy that didn't step back when they asked for volunteers. My sponsor kind of, uh, but so I would say thank you there. for allowing me to participate in my recovery tonight. And I still say that, and I close this podcast with thank you for allowing us to mm-hmm. participate in our recovery. But, you know, so I, I must take the action, right? I must take the actions that, that are in a, in a compass reading of recovery. You know, that has to be that direction. Now, your compass is a little different than mine, and so they won't be exactly the same thing. Uh, but then, you know, then the other side of it is, as I'm telling you, to let go and let God you know, but take action, you know, <laughs> and, and I get that today. I couldn't explain it to you, but I understand it today. But when you're walking and you're, you're walking in the door and you get told these conf- what appears to be conflicting mm-hmm. messages, mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy ammunition to go. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. Uh, and I'm different. So oh, absolutely. Uh, it is interesting to watch. I don't know why I get like that, that, pendulum and i guess that just is life is is uh it's trying to achieve that elusive thing of balance and that's what that pendulum swing is to me is <laughs> that if it, it can't stop in the middle mm-hmm. i get glimpses of balance sure in my life uh because a swing over here and a swing over there and all these principles uh surrender to win you know contradictory uh you know, take action, but let go and let God. Uh, it's, it's just it's interesting things, and I can understand why guys or people, fellas, uh, folks, human beings, want to pick every way they can reject sure. it. Uh, sure. Coming in the door, but you know there are ancient principles. You know, I think uh, another way I like to look at it is it's really this stuff. Whether if it's to some extent, and bear with me here, this is my opinion, Christianity. Uh, Hindu, uh, Native American, uh, Buddhism, all these messages are in alignment, in Islam, are in alignment with one another. Now, there's varying 
diversions here and there. Sure. But the principles are pretty solid. If you boil them all down, they do come into this relying on this power of that, you know, people were scratching in caves on opposite sides of this world way before anybody could have communicated similar kind of messages that mm -hmm. they're receiving from something, you know, and, and so there's got to be, you know, that there's tells me there's some things there. And so the way I like visualize it is, is that we all have the same, this message is pretty much the same coming from all these different directions when I boil it down. It's help other people. It's take care of yourself. It's, you know, be kind. Uh, you know, these, these simple, don't hurt people. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all got a different color bow tied around it. And I need my bow to be red where you need your bow to be blue, you know. So Hindu maybe is a blue bow and Christianity is a red bow. And this is in 12 Steps has like a, maybe a pink one. <laughs> and uh, and I need that taught to me in a way that I can that lands with me. Sure. Uh, now, like I said, it seems to all be the same message to me today, and I draw from all of it. I wouldn't claim to be a Christian today. I wouldn't claim not to be. <laughs> uh, I, I pull from a lot of the teachings, and I'm open to the what all of it has to give mm -hmm. offer me today. Uh, and, and that's one of the things about 12 steps is that they allow me to do that. Absolutely. They actually encourage me. Well, one they of the encourage things. encourage me to develop a, some kind of relationship with a higher power. Yes. And then whatever I, more, even more importantly than that, whatever I develop and choose, I don't get rejected for it. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, it's surprising to me um, how much that is a stumbling block uh, for folks coming into the program and I understand that we can come in with um, maybe you had a bad experience in church as a child any number of things um, so I love the way the the, the book presents it um, but one of the things that I always say when somebody approaches me and asks me if I'm taking sponsees I always require a phone call I never say yes right there I always ask them to call me, mm -hmm. and um, it's just if you're serious, you'll call. And yep, if you don't, that's, that's okay too. That's the that's kind of like the gate key in a way. I did, sure. I did, I did this. I just actually shared on it. Did the same thing. You know, I had a guy call me the other night. He actually went through some people to contact me and thought that Dan Reeves could help him for some reason. Hmm. And so he, and so it got to me, and I was like, okay, give me his number. I will call him. I will call him. Yeah. And, but I always uh, have to share with... him to call me tomorrow. Well, there you go. Yeah. And, and, and no call tomorrow. You hey. know, but uh, Monday night he needed me really bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Tuesday, not so much. Not so much. Well, I've learned to take, um, you know, in the beginning, as much as you know that you're powerless. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first time or two that you have somebody fall off, you know, there's sort of, it was like, okay, am I doing this wrong? Yeah. Did I not do it right enough? Did I not present the message right enough? Yeah. And the reality is I've been there. I've been in their shoes. Um, you know, I've been lukewarm uh, in understanding that 
there's always somebody behind them and hopefully they come back in and they find somebody, whatever. Um, I've learned to let a lot of that, you know, stuff go, but it took a little time. But one thing that I am adamant about is that when someone asks me, I always require a phone call. And one of the things that I will say is you will hear me say the word God. If that is a stumbling block for you, then I'm probably not the sponsor for you. I'm not going to give sermons. I'm not going to tell you what to believe, how to believe. And let's get away from my faith, but let's just talk about this book. Because this book says, in our pertinent ideas, that probably no human power will relieve us of our alcoholism. So this isn't just Jamie spewing. I said, but my very big, 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 big book tells me that I put nothing in front of him. So for me, in my journey, in my faith, you will hear me say the word God. So I just need to put that out there and let people know. But, uh, you know, my sponsor is still on that journey. It doesn't change anything in our relationship because it is, I truly, to the core of my being, believe that it is a very personal journey for each one of us. It's our fundamental thing of uh, your own conception. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if I'm going to be allowed mine, mm-hmm. I obviously got to allow you mm-hmm. yours. Absolutely. Um, and I find, you know, I, I find myself, you know, falling into that trap once in a while. Sure. And, and I see it in other, you know, in, in other people, some yours is wrong kind of thing. Mm. One of my, one, something that landed on me not long ago, and again, is a gift or a blessing or something that I was able to explain to somebody, is that when... I use the word God too, mm-hmm. and I'm going to, but it's just like me saying Kleenex, or you know, it's a term that I'm going to use, and we're going to recognize that when I say it, it's not so much of like exactly pinpoint what I'm talking about. It's the conceptual thing, and it just rolls, and it's easy. It's three words. Everybody's comfortable with it for the most part. Mm-hmm. When the bullets are flying over your head, or the car is skidding into the ditch, or your baby is screaming in the ER, sick with something you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. I can promise you, you're in the bathroom going, God, mm. help me. Yeah. And, uh, and if I hand you a box, if you ask me for a Kleenex and I hand you a box, you don't turn it over to see if it really is Kleenex or Target brand. <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> so just when I say the word that I use, just like Bill says in there, please do not hold any prejudice against the words we use Yeah. to describe ter- spiritual terms. What you need to do is decide what they mean to you. Absolutely. And I think that's why it saddens me. Um, I get asked often, um, Jamie, why do you uh, identify yourself as an alcoholic if you're a drug of choice? If you, if you were asked, if someone said, hey, what's your love? And I would tell you it's opiates. Well, I suffer from the disease of alcoholism. My problem is not my substance. My problem is me and continues to be me. I can abuse anything, whether it be shopping, whether it be anything. I can make anything my master. So for me, that the things that make me change the way I feel. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Absolutely, I feel different. So for me, it's it's keeping things in perspective. And it's keeping the focus on myself and not on the substance. Now, if I'm speaking in an AA meeting, I'm absolutely going to honor the traditions. I'm certainly not up there, you know, speaking. Um, 
but our good friend Bill here certainly talked about high power sedatives. It's part of his story as well. Yeah. So it saddens me. In that book, you haven't read it. Mm. Read the stories in the back. Yeah. So it saddens me when I will um, before a ten thirty meeting. A lot of old timers. I'm sitting at a table. I don't know what I'm doing. Waiting for the meeting. Fellows are sitting. Uh, set uh, Floyd County Token Club, so they're having a little breakfast. And I hear one of the fellows say, have you been back to such and such a meeting? And the other fellow says, you know, I went the other night and it's a little bit better. And he said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, yeah, they were kind of behaving themselves. And so the moral of the story was, how dare anyone mention those how power sedatives this is aa mm -hmm. and we're alcoholics and it really broke my heart because i have to believe that the lifeboat is big enough for all of us and i don't care what brought you in the room i want my hand to be out and i want to say welcome uh, and i don't care how many times you walk through the door but it would make me very sad because i remember thinking if there were a newcomer in the room and they overheard these gentlemen and somehow in that moment felt that they were not wanted in that room because their drug of choice happens to be in a different form yep. and got up and left. To me, that's not the ultimate message Man, of what we're trying to achieve here. I couldn't agree more, uh, really, because I am a, I'm an ANDA. <laughs> My favorite were alcohol and opiates. That's I liked both. Yeah. Uh, I also say another little thing, and again, it's landed on me somehow or another with a, a guy who didn't want to identify as an alcoholic in AA. And I said, you know, just just get on the team. It doesn't really matter. I said, you know, if you're if we're sitting in the Chicago Cubs dugout, mm -hmm. put on a Chicago Cubs uniform. Yeah. You know, don't hurt. You know. Uh, no, but you have to wear a Phillies uniform, don't you? Mm. You, know, you have to come mm. in and be the one that's different. That's so, right. And there is a humble, I think there's a humility in that also of just, you know, saying that's the opposite of the terminal uniqueness. Mm -hmm. uh, coming in and saying, I am one too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did that in TSSR because we don't, that's what we call this the other 12 step thing because people don't identify there. Mm -hmm. Some people do, but it's not a requirement to identify in there. And, uh, and I say, uh, I am one too. Whatever you guys are, I'm one too. Let me in. You know, I, I want, like that. Uh, and they're like, say, will you come play with me? You know, <laughs> let's come on, guys. Uh, we're going to play ball at my house tonight. Let's, there you go. Let's, can, can we play? Because uh, at a big level, I just don't want to be left on the side of the kickball field and not getting picked on a team. I agree, and that's, that's really how that conversation felt, is that somehow here we are and we're splitting hairs and we're saying that somehow you're not welcome here because you have drugs in your story. Yeah. To me, that just didn't make sense, and it felt so in opposition to the whole reason that we come together. It says inclusive, never exclusive. Yeah. And it just really weighed heavy on me, really hurt my heart. And then, uh, you know, after I processed it with my sponsor, because, you know, I'm stomping, yeah. you know, 
Um, and we talked. You're not going to believe what I heard. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and we talked through it, and I said a prayer for them and kept it moving um, because, you know, they're entitled to their thoughts and feelings and beliefs the same way anyone else is. The only thing that I can do is make my encouragements um, and hopefully make the lifeboat big enough. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that makes this program work because at my core, I am this selfish, self-seeking person paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, for me, when I've looked at things like smart recovery, to me, it just doesn't make any sense because I think that's so fundamental um, to this program, this ability to step outside of ourselves and to give back what's so freely been given to us because that's a reality. You know, if you've got a dollar, it's the best dollar you're ever going to spend. And uh, it's free therapy in a lot of ways. And it's just who better understands you. And I think that's one of the great joys at work that so many of us are in recovery because there's just no way you can explain this. You would, you'd have to be one of us to understand yep. it. And you would never wish that on your worst enemy. Right. But, but for I'm those. I'm so happy that I am one. Yeah, but isn't it crazy yeah. to somehow see, to flip it and be able to see how that, um, because it took all of that to get where we are. Makes this thing big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least it's not a, I don't know, snake. Yeah, no. I don't know any flying snakes. snakes, though. Not usually. Hmm. Not usually. But I'm it, not that versed in snakes, so. That, uh, I never little thing that comes to me at some point and I know some people but uh they'll hear these stories over and over again but I don't really care I had this like 12 <laughs> steps St. Peter of the 12 steps is up there okay and he's at the pearly gates of the 12 steps and you walk there's a line you know mm-hmm. and you walk up and you go he says okay what's your problem and you say uh I overeat it's okay down the hall little small room on the left hand side you'll see it what's your problem I gamble Okay, I've got a room for you. Down this hall, you're on the right. You'll see it. So, okay, what's your problem? This, I'm a drug addict. Uh, well, what kind? Well, I do cocaine. So we got a room for you too, right? And we peel off all these people down mm-hmm. into the little pods. Yeah. And you know, and the alcoholic comes. This is what you oh, alcohol. Oh, well, we got you. We are in the gymnasium, you know, <laughs> just straight on down at the biggest room. It's that we got you there, you know, and uh, and TSSR specifically is allowing like those things to come together too, mm-hmm. that we don't have to like ostracize one another or be that exclusive thing that you're one of these or you're one of these. Right. And actually, what happens is is that everybody brings their thing to the table. And I can kind of relate to the overeater, you know, and I can relate to the gambler and I can hear and, and have compassion for where they're at and, and support them anyway, you know, because the tools work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And some people are just um, living on a low level of misery. They really don't have an ism anywhere, really. But things just aren't very good. Mm-hmm. And... And they do, are looking for something just a little bit better. Just can things be a little bit better than they are today? 
and I can guarantee them just like my buddy did and rephrase that, that if you'll apply these principles, if you'll do this work and apply these principles in your life, your life will get better. What I find in TSSR things is that like how one thing brought us to our knees predominantly. Mm -hmm. uh, what I find is a lot of people are dabbling in a number of things and no one thing is bringing them down. Mm. So they're not like hitting the bottom with something, mm -hmm. but they're dabbling around in here and it's just not, you know, they're, they're still just as miserable yeah. as we were. Uh, but no particular thing. So that like is preventing them from having a bottom because they're not like falling in one hole. Sure. And, uh, and we can offer these people this same kind of help. Um, it is so cool. That's what I just, I, I like Once again, another element of something that's been brought into my life that's allowed me to get to do something that, uh, that, uh, that, that fulfills me. It gives me purpose. It gives me, uh, allows me to it opens up the pool of folks I can help makes that pool bigger it does and we need people in there that know the 12 steps too to help uh, do that so we encourage people to uh, to come we have a our Thursday night meeting is a solid 20 25 sometimes people nice and uh, per, per, pretty cool um, <laughs> I love the film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm -hmm. And in, um, I use this a lot with patients talking about the 12 steps. I always tell them, come on in, the water's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Speaking of the pool. <laughs> but you don't know if you don't give it a try. I don't like it. I don't like it. I have a problem with that. I say that about sushi. And I've never tried it. Mm. I don't like it. <laughs> well, we've been talking for two and a half hours. I know. I just so looked you up can have the clock. Fine. Yeah, and I'm my little. It, I, I have the timer. I told you I was born talking. That's good. That's what this format is for. It would be a meditation if we just sit here quietly. Truly. I, I sell. It. I sell silent meditations. Hmm. I record silence and sell it to you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just joking. But uh, it, I do <laughs> joke around it. I, hey, I'm doing some silent meditations if any of y'all want to buy some. If you're interested. Yeah. Now, there is one guy I like, David G. And I like a lot of guys. But there's one guy particularly that I follow in the meditation realm. Mm -hmm. And he does guided meditations. And one reason I like it is because he gets silent in the middle. Mm-hmm and allows a good chunk of time in the middle. And I do kind of giggle in my head that he has recorded and provided to me recorded silence. It's like, <laughs> there's something that doesn't compute, you know, how, how do you record silence? But uh, I like that he gives that, uh, gives you a time because some of the guided meditation stuff is chatter throughout, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I'm not, again, I'm real big on your own conception. Uh, if meditation to you is sitting on a bulldozer while it's running, okay with me. That's right. Uh, but I like the quiet in, in my meditation. Any concluders? 
Got anything you want to wrap up? Anything that hits you? Anything that you want to uh, throw for out there for a final thought? I'm just uh, grateful for the for the opportunity. Um, I think here lately, a lot of this, and this is a lot of conversation that I have every day, every week. Um, and this was a way to sort of step out. I think here lately I've been associating it as part of work. So I think I absolutely needed this in a way I didn't realize until we finished. Uh, because it's been a while since I've spoken in a meeting. Yes. Uh, the whole COVID thing. Um, so I'm feeling some things align. So I think I'll leave that there then. Yeah. Greatly appreciated. Well, yeah. Well, I enjoyed myself tonight. As I, did I. Uh, as I said, uh, I love having a new friend. Um, Absolutely. It's just, again, it's blessings. It's miracles. I get to chalk those up as miracles yep, that yep. I get a new friend. That you know, I throwed a fishing line out in the universe. <laughs> and, and, and I caught and it. And Jamie said, "I'll play. <laughs> I will come play with you for a couple hours." <laughs> and, uh, and that's just too cool. Yes, you know? it is. Uh, yes, it is. All right. Well, I do appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, I close this thing with two things, and I took them from because uh, everything I got, I got from somebody else. Mm. I didn't invent nothing. I <laughs> make sure that that's another disclaimer out here uh, that somebody taught me this stuff. And one of them is it says uh, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And I always uh, want to thank everyone out there for allowing Jamie and I to participate in our recovery in this manner tonight by carrying this 12-step message and that uh, we really do recover. Thanks, everyone. Peace out.
have to put away 